Welcome to the Flawed, Foolish and Fantastic Podcast. Thank you for being on our little podcast. We've started this new podcast called the Flawed, Foolish and Fantastic Podcast. Uh, flawed and Foolish, uh, me and Margaret Singh, we are the Flawed and Foolish and our guests on this podcast who are in order to show the fantastic work that they're doing. Uh, either through an organisation or individually or promoting something and I have been following yourself on Facebook, on Instagram right. and uh, I keep trying to get on these little tours that you're doing with my kids but they're lazy kids at the <laughs> so I will push yeah. them into it but for me it's, it's something I've always been interested in and, and from, I can't understand or fathom how you even got into it so First of all, what I, what I want to do is just say thank you for inviting us on as a guest. To be on our podcast. And what we're looking to do is find out more about you. The promotion of your work is online, but who is the person behind the work? So I just want to start off with obviously thanking you for being on and just starting off with who is Rapsin? <laughs> That's an interesting question because um it's a name, isn't it? Rab Singh. Um, not to be confused with Rabbi Singhs, or there are loads of Rab Singhs out there. And I've never, I've never um, worried about my name, to be honest, and Rab Singh, because my name's always been a problem. I had two variations when I was young, yeah. so my dad spelled it differently when we went to do the birth certificate. My passport had it differently. So mortgages, it, it all kind of came to light that I had two names. <laughs> When I went from a mortgage. That's an experience check. That would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. And then I had created my own name called Rav Singh because I was always confused with the two yeah. Ranveed Singhs. I'm actually Ranveed Singh. Okay. R-E-R-W-E-R. Um, but Rav Singh was the adopted um, name um, around university time. Yeah. And who is Rav Singh? So um, I think for me it's um, a try. From an education perspective, worked in the corporates, um, an engineer by trade, genetics, and all of that kind of is meaningless, really. So for me, I just try and live my Sikhi or my version of Sikhi in all that I try and do. Yeah. Um, and Rav Singh type, and what I find is Rav Singh gets bored very quickly. <laughs> so I think um, I think I've worked for about thirty different employers for okay. twenty-two years. I get things done and move on. I don't worry about staying on, I don't build kind of any roots in any single organisation, yeah. job done, move on, job done and, and that takes me places to places and all those experiences I think is what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Okay, right, with regards to that I'm going to start start because you've told me a bit about who is Rapsing but tell me about your childhood, Who, what moulded you as a child into the person that you are today? Yeah, so I think, um, so I was probably a mid-80s to mid-90s kid, so mid-80s are probably my earliest memories, yeah. so born in the 70s and mid-80s, and I think um, I've come across some previous podcasts of people like yourself where we were Gurdwara kids, you yeah. know, we hung around the Gurdwara, you know, and in my area, I think our house was in between two Gurdwaras, yeah. so you could turn left and go to 10 to 14 Neville Road, or turn right and go to 270 Neville Road. Walk a bit further, you're at Rosebury Avenue. Keep walking a bit further, you're at the Ravidasi Gurdwara. Yeah. Turn left from 10 to 14 and you're at the Namdari headquarters of the UK. So I just think all of my childhood was spent with my grandmother 
yeah. kind of in Gurdwara settings on a satsang or um, on a program. Um, and it's only because it was so local. Yeah. So in my childhood, a lot of the memories are around Gurdwara settings, Punjabi school. Um, and they also had a sports centre, yeah. a Rangari, a Sikh sports centre. And I was nearly there every day. I think it closed on Wednesdays. Yeah. But Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, in the evenings we were there. Playing hockey, playing table tennis, playing darts, building you know, Sikh friends because they were all there. Um, and that was really my life, really. School and Gurdwara type activities yeah. in our very local community until about 18. Okay. And 18 things kind of really changed. You know? We talk about your, your schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, and your childhood itself, it was spent around the Gurdwara. Yeah. Um, what was the influence you had from the Gurdwara? I think it was varied, because um, for me, I think my grandmother was at ease in any Gurdwara, because she had friends in every Gurdwara, which yeah. made me at ease in any Gurdwara. I never consciously thought that I'm at a Singh Sabha Gurdwara, or at Rangari Gurdwara, or a Naantari headquarters, or a Lavidasi Gurdwara. Somehow, the people there were all connected anyway through Kenya or through other places, they yeah. all knew each other. So, you'd be at the Gurdwara for a satsang or a function, and the people were friendly. And so, I just kind of felt at ease because they were all within walking distance. Yeah. Like Newham is a land of seven Gurdwaras, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's what I always used to think. So, if it wasn't here or there, um, and the influences I think for me were really at Rangariya Sikh Sports Centre. Okay. So there were these, probably a group of 10, um, at that time they would have been in their 30s, East African Sikhs with their own businesses yep. who had thought that a sports centre would be good for the kids okay. and they would shut their businesses and they would every night be there between 7 and 9, 2 every evening and they all had businesses either in the cars or wholesalers or things like that. Yeah. And they would turn up and they'd do two and a half hour shifts and there'd be about 30, 40 kids there playing sports and then at 9, 9.30 they'd lock up, they'd go home to their own family. So you had the Monday people, the Tuesday people, you got to know them all. They were, they were good people, you know, things were very local. Was it organised sports or organised chaos? I... Because most, most of the good was in the 80s. Yeah. We had sports centres but it was organised chaos. So I think that Rangaliya Sikh Sports Centre, I think they brought their organisation from East Africa. Okay, yeah. So they came in and they had their tournament every year and the leagues in each sports um, they then started getting us in the leagues in the Essex leagues so I played table tennis in Essex yeah. our Gurdwara team was the borough team for the London youth games okay. and those gave you platforms to start building outside of the Gurdwara yes, yeah. because we had advocates who were non-Sikh okay. so we were coached by international, international table tennis players you know, Sky Andrews was number six in England, but he came to a Gurdwara to earn a bit of pin money on a, yeah. a Thursday. You know, we'd all have to pay him two or five pound for his T-shirt. But it just made it interesting that mm. that even though we were rooted in East London and probably never stepped out in Newham, yeah. that our influences were coming in from outside. outside. Yeah. And, and there were some good hockey players and some good um, darts players from the Ford's Darts Club. And the Gurdwara hub was yeah. quite active. And, and it lasted until, I suppose, till about 98, 99, and it fizzled away. And, and, I, and I sincerely feel that for our children now, how good it would have been for them yeah, to have a hub, like a youth club, yeah. you know, but it's not there. And, 
There's not one similar what, one here. No. What's the reason for it closing? It was varied. I think certain key individuals moved on, like their jobs took them to, to far away destinations. Yeah. Um, and then there were bigger projects in mind that didn't take off. But the, the Gurdwara, I suppose the Seva kind of naturally fizzled out and the next generation didn't really come in to yeah. step in. You know, the equipment moved to other Gurdwara. Not just there. that, by that time we all had computers on. Yeah, it was different. Because yeah. when we were kids, it's, you get on your bike, you know where everybody was because there were 10 bikes outside somebody's house. That's it. Or you were out playing football in a field or you were doing whatever, like you said. Look, I for guess. me, it was like, you know, we had to go to Slough, South or Leeds for tournaments and I'm yeah. a good network. And my front room was just full of trophies because yeah. you weren't playing hockey, you'd play table tennis, you weren't playing, you were playing darts. Yeah. You'd come back with a trophy or whatever. <laughs> you know, so the room was just full of trophies. And <laughs> Both of those, I used to buy my trophies. <laughs> So that, that felt like there was a structure yeah. in your life, you know, that you could um, excel in something that you worked because you practiced every week at the Gurdwara, yeah. then you played in the Essex Leagues against Gore mainly, yeah. and then you played against Punjabis in the yeah. summer tournaments. And that was nice, you know, that was a good memory of mine, you know, that um, we did that. A lot of friends, they're all in their 40s now, yeah. I made them through the Gurdwara, you know. Yeah, we still play dads and lads football sometimes, you know. You know, they're all from there, the football team. Your friends are rooted from them. Like, I've Root. still got so many yeah. friends from the Gordon. Like I said, we, we did a podcast with Kojis and um, who now just see what see what good I'm like knew each other twelve, thirteen yeah. in your forties now. Yeah. But I think the, the the problem is we kind of expected the club always to be there. Yeah. And it's not there. So for my children, their karate was at, you know, Chadwell Heath karate, which is local. You know, their sports activities are through structured clubs. Yeah. It's not rooted to the Gurdwara. Yeah. And, and that's a worry for me, kind of, you know, how are they going to grow up? You know, yeah. other than Punjabi school, how, where are they going to get their Sikh connections from? Yeah. Social circles, you know? And I suppose kids these days don't worry about that. They, their friends can be of any faith. Or I know when we were younger, <coughs> you know, our parents made sure our friends were all kind of over faith. <laughs> I think coming from my thoughts, we had to have a sort of seat collective because there were so few, few numbers. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, we had a talk with, like I said, with somebody else last week and they were saying the National Front was around and other, other organisations were around who were, yeah. there, there was still an immigration worry, not to, you know. So my kind of memories are when my older cousin suffered at National yeah. Front, like when we started to get an awareness, that started to fizzle out okay. late 80s rather than mid 80s or early yeah. 80s. But definitely the stories were there. The atmosphere so was still it was still. That's here. why the parents went, we need to gang you safe together. Space. You got safe. We didn't know that. We exactly. to the good though. Yeah. <laughs> right? But it was a safe haven. Exactly. You know? yeah. It was a safe space where those activities, I guess, we could have got from what you look at today with your scouts and the cubs and, and groups like that. But it was a safe space where they knew that your faith and religion were not going to be compromised in any way. That's true. And, and they that's also, probably yeah, that 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 was probably primary to our parents, yeah. you know, that you're not going to go there and be um, polluted. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. It's a safe space. So I think, yeah, I agree with that. But for me, that kind of worked in a big way because we took every opportunity that we had. You know, we learnt the Punjabi quite early. We were easily able to communicate with everyone at the Gurdwara. Punjabi yeah. English was easy. Um, and then the sports gave us a platform to just focus on something really yeah. you know? and and it's weird because at that time I don't think 
siki. It was a space that was safe, but we didn't have a lot of siki being. You know, we were never inside at the Kuruba. Yeah. yeah, we were outside, right? Yeah. Right, you're practicing football. So that's why you beat him up a bit. I got yeah. you a shower. Find your friends. Oh, yeah, where are you? Let's play tape. Oh, you're in the Langer board, yeah, right? Exactly, you're yeah. going to be in the Langer board, right? So. And then at the end, you might come in for the Adas and then it's back in the Langer Hall of the Langer yeah. I think that was our 2000s, I mean, from 8 to 18 would have been yeah. that kind of, but growing up with people as well. Um, so yeah, that's one aspect of it. But I think another aspect of my childhood was um, a lot of reading. Yeah. So I could read through books quite easily. I think I went to Plasto Library, used to walk there. And other than the adult section, that we, I'd read all the books. So yeah. I was just like, this is boring now. I need a new library because I'm taking out these fact books and these fiction books again and again. And I'm yeah. just flicking, getting through them. Is there something that was particular that you liked reading? It was facts. It's I didn't facts, want yeah. fiction. So yeah, I was just absorbing information, thinking, yeah. if I know all this stuff, I'm going to get a good job. So if I know populations and flags and geographies and countries... Exactly. And <laughs> I, had to, I knew every capital city. Yeah. Every, I knew every flag. Like, no, I knew every country. Every little bit of data that we could get our hands on. We encyclopedias, that's what I used to be. Yeah, encyclopedias. had all of those. Yeah. Um, encyclopedias, so you read through every topic, learn all that stuff. And you just felt it was a grounding for a very good career. Exactly. Yeah. No matter what it's going to be, we don't know, but we need to know everything that these yeah. books tell you. And fiction, I thought, was just a waste, waste of time. Yeah. Still today. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I'm sitting there reading like goodbye books of yeah. Picas and things like that. My brother walk and go, Have you read the Harry Potter book? <laughs> like, get like gunned out of here. And my daughter's just saying, yeah. like, Have you seen no? Have yeah. you seen the anime books? And I'm like, yeah. much as I like watching anime. I ain't got time to read that. But now I do, because I travel, now yeah. I do read those and I can get involved <laughs> in a crime thriller. And I went through all of those at the library, you know, yeah. and, um, or a charity um, shop. And I, I've done that, I went through a phase, but much later in life yeah. when I was travelling. Then I would have a book with me and just get through 70 pages yeah. in a journey. Um, and then you're absorbed in the story. And I thought, why didn't I know about this before? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? But I was very much a collector of facts because I think that was going to help me. That's what I thought at the time. Well, with regards to, obviously, collector of facts, you say, what was your education like? So the education, um, I've still got every report I've ever had, and it was always me and a friend at the top of the class. Yeah. Grew up in Newham, East London. I don't think we ever saw a white person. There was a white kid in our school called Dean White, I remember that, but he used to truant a lot, so we never used to see him. You just <laughs> make, did you just make his surname up? Because no, his white. name was Dean White. <laughs> there was a Gordo called Dean White in our secondary school, yeah. but I saw him maybe once a year. Yeah. You know, he was just happy at home. So we grew up in a very Indian, you know, Gujarati, Muslim, yeah. Sikh, Punjabi, Bengali type school. And during my secondary years, that school was being identified as an uncertain future. Really? So basically there was all that grant maintained status going yeah. on, there's rumours in the community, no messages coming out. So the safe option was to get your kids out of that Move school. To so I moved to an area called Redbridge and I moved to a school on the borders of Bromford, which yeah. meant and one hour bus journey every day. Okay. And um, that was great because it gave you independence and it yeah. got you out of Newham and it was a good school. And um, but there was only two or three Indian kids there. So you went from a <laughs> part of Asian people to to, to yeah. being a few. Yeah, and the only thing that really helped me was I was in top set. If yeah. you're sitting next to me, you can copy all my work. You're going to get top marks, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think if you're near enough guaranteed an A in every assignment, 
then people want to sit next to you. They don't want to make you. You'd say that protected you from any kind of harassment yeah. or anything. And if others got it, I didn't. I wasn't aware of it. There was a lot of fights in our school, but it was just brown versus everyone else, yeah. or brown and black versus everyone else on football. But it was nothing like any kind of violence that goes on these days. It was just you go back to lessons and you get on again, yeah. right? And that's fine. Everyone forgets about it. You get told off. But me, because I was very academic, because I was absorbing so much information. I think I did 13 GCSEs when most people did nine. Yeah. They said to me, don't worry about PE, you can just do Italian. Don't worry about that, you could do this to get the school's numbers higher yeah. and higher. So they, they weren't a problem, they were a string of A's and then A-levels. And then you obviously have your Punjabi mess up one year, then you get serious the next year. Yeah, so I went back home, West Ham College, and um, did the A-levels, got good grades after a repeat year, my first year, and then got an offer at Imperial. Okay. And Imperial was a top university. I think I had pharmacy at Aston or genetics at Imperial. I didn't know what I was going to do with genetics, but I just wanted to go to Imperial. <laughs> yeah, but like I said, well, I, I had a cousin who went into that in 95, 95, yeah. Mm. So he went into genetics and these as well, because at the time you're thinking this is going to be the, the future. future. It was a pre-millennium, wasn't it? Yeah, we were still mapping the genome, yeah. right? So that was what your interviews are on, the Human Genome Project. Um, I had an interview and um, they gave the offer, got the grades, yeah. and, and that was when the world kind of opened up to me because I don't think there was very many Londoners in our course. There's about six of us in a hundred. Most of, 60% of the course was foreigners who okay. were paying for their education, but these were just such polite, nice kids, you know, that you were just like, it's not the kind of kids I'm used to, you know? Yeah. Everyone had four or five or six A-levels, and I think I had three or four. If you count Punjabi, it's four. <laughs> I did three. Um, and suddenly from being top of the class, you're now in the bottom quarter and you're playing catch-up. And you realise that the level is, you're just... They, they, these kids are like sponsored by governments to come here, do the course and go back and work for them. Yeah. I think Hong Kong, China, Singapore, Greece, Kenya, Finland, these, these are people who I can count on my hand, I remember where they were from. Germany. The cream of the crop from their country. The cream of the crop from their countries paying international rates mm. to come to a university and actually do something in genetic engineering where I was just like... So they're like those, in the US how you get the scholarship kids, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. some of them were on a scholarship where they got £200 a week just to live on in London. I was like, God. what the hell, you know? I was just like, That's I was £20 a week for yeah. Yeah, I think I was on my grandmother was paying for my travel card yeah. to go across the district line because I couldn't live out. And, um, but I didn't know, I just knew of these people and got yeah. to know them as friends. I didn't know their background until you see it on Facebook now mm. and you see, you know, actually where they were coming from. I think one, one group of friends came to my house and um, they had tea. Obviously, they enjoyed Indian tea. But this one of the girls was from Switzerland. Mm. And she said, I don't understand why your house is stuck to someone else's house. Okay, yeah, so we just had to. I was like, it's a Terry's house. She goes, no, we had land around the house. Yeah. I was like, yeah, but we're in London. But seriously, you didn't think that. You thought this was just a, like we would have a country mansion and this yeah. would be just something for London access. She goes, is this really your house? I said, yeah, this is where we live. Yeah. I was like, yeah, but... You know, then you don't know what kind of... In Switzerland, she probably has got... Yeah, she's Alps and cows and... Yeah, all that. And, and she probably and had, you know. But to me, these questions were... Wow. You know, and then... Um, but I could adapt into that because we were all doing the same assignments. You're all getting similar grades. It's just pre-internet. Yes. So, so you know, the was very small then, wasn't it? Very small. 
Very small. Um, pre so we're 96 to 99. Yeah, because we, we had a computer lab. 96. Yeah, a computer lab where you go and check your yeah. emails once a week. No one's going to send you an email because exactly. everyone else has got one. Well, the only one who sent emails was the person who sat next to me. Exactly. It would be like a picture of a cat or something like that. Yeah, so we were still going into the library and doing that microfiche stuff and yeah, sliding yeah, through, then getting the library to print it, then trying to rehash it in the evening in the library. And I didn't realise that you just actually should have just taken the second year student, the Punjabi, the second yeah. year, just take all their assignments because so they're the same. Yeah. But you know, you didn't realise that. That's what yeah. the, the foreign students had, they had coaches in the year two or year okay. three. That's why they could enjoy London. <laughs> you know? yeah. They had ready made assignments, all they had to do is improve them. <laughs> so yeah, so you're at university and like I said. Yeah. So it so it was up to ninety nine at uni. Yeah. And then then I was just thinking, what do I do? I've got a degree now got the old um, two one as they say or you know mm. and then you just start looking for work and everyone has a minimum requirement and I didn't really apply for jobs I think in those days they used to believe in one I just think like one application I'll get the job that's right send me one CV out yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I'll just wait for <laughs> send 20 CVs out <laughs> yeah. 20 companies go yeah. anyone goes chill me now <laughs> and, I, and that's just what I wanted to chill and I had um, a few businesses that I'd lined up with some friends they're behind you over there I and mean, one of the businesses meant we had to go to Las Vegas. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, so I've been to Las Vegas through uni years and everything. And we had a car show there to go to. We would order a car and ship it over. And I'd do all the paperwork and everything. So I'd go over. And it was going to go in February. And so I walked into a high street and I said, look, I'm going to Las Vegas. I need some gambling money. Can you get me a 10 for sign up for two yeah. weeks? I'll make two, three hundred quid. Take it with me. And I won't worry about spending it at the casino because, yeah. um, you know, that's not my real job. So I did the tests and I got 100% in every test I remember. And she said, you know what, you can come and work for us. <laughs> so we're opening up a new position here. And I went in as a statistician. So this genetic engineering actually led to a statistical job with Reed in partnership, who had just started to get public-private contracts. And I didn't know, I just wanted two weeks yeah. of work. Went to Las Vegas, came back and they said, why don't you, do you want to just work for us? And I was like, how much are you paying? And it was like the same with the graduate scheme. And I was like, well, then that's fine, then, isn't it? I only wanted to earn 21 grand a year, you're yeah. doing it. That's fine. And that could have been a mistake, um, or it could have been the biggest opportunity. Yeah. Because what it meant was I didn't go into a corporate Canary Wharf or a corporate London employer, which was the plan with my one application to the one employer that I was waiting for, you know? Um, and what things do these days, you know, where if you get a good degree, you go yeah, into the city. Yeah. And I didn't hear back from them, so that must have gone in the bin. Um, and I started a career with Reed. And Reed, at that time, Tony Blair's government had come in, education, education, yeah. education. They were taking over job centres and privatising them. And it was just a roller coaster of learning. And I was sitting in the centre of it as a, the company statistician, mm. predicting. Um, we used to get a folder full of work data from Derby University. Yeah. I would analyse that, make spreadsheets, and predict the future profits of the company okay. through the inflow of the unemployed. <laughs> to coming out to read contracts of the jobs. And I created these spreadsheets and work, and I started to work it all out. It's like, great, this is good. Then they opened up a European projects division, took me over there. I did a postgraduate in European government funding, learned about structural funding and European funding. Then I went to Liverpool, Glasgow, Middlesbrough, setting up these programmes with government money and tapping in European money. So it was exciting for yeah. a young person, and the money was good, and in recruitment, bonuses are good, so money was coming in, car was paid for, and it was good. And it kind of gave me a few years. 
and then Reed itself had a few issues with governance on those projects and how they were working. And then I kind of worked out that actually my role in the statistician role, mm. my data was showing that. Okay. And people knew that, but I didn't know that. Because I was just like, well, my data said this person's going to come in and then we're going to train them and yeah. then we're going to get them a job, then we're going to get a bonus and we're going to get this. And that was weird. And it's all been in the news for a different company. Yeah. Um, Action for Employment had been in the news in the Midlands with a similar setup. And I was looking at my data thinking, now I'm looking at it in a different light. Yeah. There's things going on that I can't see. And how could I see them? I was a graduate thinking, people, oh, everyone follows the rules. You yeah. know? And that was weird. And then I just thought, I don't want to work in the private sector because okay. everyone's on bottom line. So I went, well, I took comfort, I think, in the bosom of the public sector. Yeah. They said, you know, you're leaving to join the public sector. I said, mate, it's, uh, it, it's what I'm comfortable doing. Yeah. And we have 32 London boroughs. So I spent from 2003 yeah. till about 2014. And I think I've worked for 24 of them. Oh, yeah. Delivering projects, um, going there, picking up a project that's in trouble, rescuing it, turning it around, delivering it, job done, move on. So I worked in social regeneration, yeah. then economic regeneration, then physical regeneration. And it was all to do with this postgraduate master that I did in regeneration, tapping in European funding, seeing all that money coming to London as an objective three funding. And I, I learned lots, and you were given a lot of independence. You're not an auditor, you're not an accountant. But auditors, accountants, lawyers, they all have to give you their reports and you're turning it into stories yeah. to manage programmes. And then we have the biggest regeneration programme in the world, which is Stratford Olympics. Hmm. That came in and our company didn't win anything because all the Americans came in. Yeah, yeah, they they charged in. And it was like, we were called the Stratford Development <coughs> Partnership at that time, but we didn't get nothing, you know? And uh, so my company got bought out, bought out, bought out, and I ended up at Capita, which is like a Foxy 25 company. But that was through Tribal and other companies. And so really, my CV just littered with loads and loads of projects. And then in 2013, I just kind of had enough of projects and I just said, I'm going to set my own company up with a friend. Um, So I had my own company, but I worked under his company as well. And we call it One Consulting. So One, O-N-E, was nice for me because it meant something to me, One. But for him, it was about property, FM, and estates under one company. Yeah. But for me, it was just one company that would do things properly for yeah. you, you know. And that's what's been keeping me busy for the last eight years. You're still doing that now? Yeah. yeah. So that's my, that's my, so we have a, I have a company called Ravsing Co. Co. Limited. And the Co. stands for consulting, which is one consulting, coaching, and then contributing to communities. And it's just like this big recycling fund because in my area of expertise we get paid well yeah. so i can always take time out for coaching people into this field there's no things in regeneration that i know of yeah. you're the only turban at the meeting you know you are, you're the only the women say you're the only women at the meeting yeah, the disabled yeah. say the only disabled I'm, I'm the only brown person I'm the only brown it's all in the early days it was 50 year old lawyers who got to the end of their careers it was a area without a government department, yeah. regeneration, so you're regenerating London for the third time in its history, mm. um, and it was all the lawyers, and they were all lawyers, and they were generally male, who were the leaders in this field, and everyone said the same thing, it's not very diverse, um, unless you're at the bottom and doing the actual projects, and as my career rose, yeah. I saw how that industry worked, and I saw all the flexibilities in it, I saw what discipline could bring to it, and that's all those skills I bring into one consulting, and one consulting only works in the physical uh, yeah. buildings, not social or economic. So 
so we only do physical buildings, which should keep us busy. Do you still do any social and economic as well? I think my social and economic is I can link it all together because I think yeah. it's all linked. It so the buildings help the economic, they help the social. And if you can tell that story, then they see you as a rounded consultant, not just a consultant who's going to come and fix the roof. Yeah, because also you want to have a look at yeah. what you're regenerating around you, what's going to be the shots, what's going to be the input, what's yeah. the value. Yeah, it's yeah. about adding value to them. Yeah. That the used to be the key, key word. But the work we do is in property, but you don't understand these property unlock so much potential. Yes. So if you look after that, the staff well-being goes up, with the staff well-being, the sickness goes down, you know, and all this stuff. And if you've got a crap building where nothing works, you've got mice infestation, you know. Sickness goes up, yeah. your money's not coming in, the deterioration of the building. Exactly. The, yeah. And what we do is when we improve a building, the value goes up so the government can borrow more against it. <laughs> That's yeah. what it is for the councils. They'll say, okay, we spent one million, the value's gone up by three million, so we can borrow another two million against it. Okay. under low rates and that's the modern environment but um, I don't try to write business cases I say you do the thinking tell me what you want done and we'll deliver it yeah and that and we're kind of a delivery consultancy so do you still do work for the public um, all public sector all public sector. always public sector do you get private sector approaching as well we don't we choose no. not to because um we're client side yeah so we we manage the private sector doing the work yeah so I'm basically I write contracts I know my own contracts I've written, I implement them, um, then we have legal finance procurement communications, they yeah. all feed into our meetings, and then I basically tell the organisation what their risk is on programme quality and price. And it's an interesting thing, because for me it's just telling a story. Yeah. It's letting everyone tell me their lies or their honest truths. I have to then assess it as the programme manager to say, look, are they actually going to deliver or not? And if yeah. they're not, then I can't move the staff in, the staff have to stay in their temporary accommodation, the business have to keep there, you know, all the IT can't move over, all of this stuff then becomes a problem. So do you build action plans if they've got things wrong with them? I build everything from pigs, plans, strategies, everything. That's what my job is on my two computer screens. I assess everyone else's reports, yeah. pick up the phone, talk to them, and I say, if you're lying, then just tell me it's not going to happen. And I can, act, I can, I can, deliver a bad message. What you're telling me is, we get rid of Sue Gray today, you could do that report on the partying as well. Either what? On the partying. <laughs> you know that, all I've seen is, in, I used to work in central government, I had yeah. two contracts, and politics gets in the way of everything. Yeah, right? yeah I was about so, to say, I've, I've seen that, yeah. their reports and the way it works. Yeah, so I just think, if we could just do a project. Have, you need somebody outside. If always. I could just do a project without the politics, yeah. I could deliver it in half the time. But once the money comes in, everyone changes it. We, you know, we have a brief, we have a blueprint, we want yeah. to deliver this, but when it's confirmed or European money comes in, then the brief changes, oh yeah, why can't you deliver this and deliver this and deliver this? Well, that's and suddenly right. you're creating a can of worms. Your aims and objectives have. always change yeah, yeah. once the finances are there. Because yeah. people see that what they couldn't budget towards or what they couldn't push as they part push of their agenda, yeah, yeah. they're then pushing And you know, you learn all these things by living and breathing projects. And because I had that experience at Reed, I always knew that you need to have the detail sorted yeah. and the data is going to tell a story. There's no point having the story in hindsight. You know, you can't learn from it. Yeah. So I've learned from that experience and now you have to ask the right questions to get the right yeah. people telling you. And when they know they can trust you, that we're all in it together to deliver the project, you know? Don't worry, I'm here to give bad messages, you know, but I always balance them off about, you know, we can't keep promising you a Christmas 
transfer or you know you're going to go into a new building when I know it's not going to happen. happen yeah. And if it's not going to happen, tell them early. Let's start working on the, yeah. the plan. If they know you've got a plan, they're okay. That's the worst thing with some of those where you get told last minute, and yeah. then you. Everybody's Projects are complicated. Buildings yeah. are complicated these days. There's so many moving parts. You know, um, I don't even know if I can teach my kids how to do this. I don't even know if I can. You can't go to uni and learn. You know, you've got to have a passion for it. Yeah, you've got to have a passion for it. And it's all about um, lists, absorbing that data again, working out and telling a story. It's always, to me, it's always just telling a story. Whereas when I was younger, your director would have to tell it or someone else would have to tell it. Yeah. Well, no shit show, but we're 40 years old, we're the director. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we've got to stand up, you know. And, uh, it's our job to put that up now, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's our job. You know, those guys have retired a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, so we enjoy it. And I, I enjoy the work. And if I can plan it, and I know there's a, there's a mitigation, yeah. then I'm confident. If there's no mitigation, that's my job, to come up with a mitigation can't tell a councillor or a chief exec a problem. Yeah. You have a problem, this is the problem, this is what we're going to do to solve it. And if it needs more money, then oh, tell us. Yeah, exactly, you know? yeah. You know? And as a consultant, we can write, we can write that very, very um, cleanly, because our job's not on the line. Yeah. Are there any prominent projects you've been involved in recently? Any? Prominent projects. Prominent projects. So basically, I've had a lot of ambulance centres I'm working for during yeah. COVID, yeah. and for 10 years they haven't been invested in. Okay. Suddenly, they've got all this money to sort out their buildings because it's a COVID requirement yeah, now. And now we're trying to not only do what we need for COVID, we're all trying to repair the backlog as well. Yeah. So there's a lots of headquarters and buildings between Oxford and Southampton I've got running. But in the past, I think my prominent projects, I, um, I was the lead for a beautiful library in Croydon, the 1930s Art Deco Library in Norbury. It's called Norbury Library. And I worked with a team of architects and surveyors to restore it. So it wasn't really to demolish it and start with one of these plastic double yeah. It was actually bring out the ceiling, bring it all back, you know. Touch with the money was there, the community support was there. Was it actually a nice building? Because a lot of those beautiful nineteen one of those buildings, okay actually that's pre Art Deco, yeah, nineteen thirties Art Deco. Because post war was just concrete. Yes, yeah, post war. So yeah. that was a recent project. The new civic centre for Tower Hamlets is going to be at the old Whitechapel Hospital. Okay. Um, it's going to be a new civic centre, so I worked on that one, stage zero to three, um, design for Eva. Um, so there's all these projects. We come in when there's a problem. Yeah. So that we're project rescue turnaround specialists. You're like the KPMG, but of buildings, physical funds, while they're... Yeah, and much they're cheaper. The only way you can get our work, oh, because those, we're about a third of the cost of a KPMG report, you know. And it's funny because you, you go around the circuit and you see that same report in different places. Yeah. And you see, how can you pay for that report that much? We, we had it, last year police, we had it, KPMG come in. And then you would have gone to another police service, would have had the same report. And then you just got, after they had done their report, an internal one was done and they fixed whatever they did. You know, management, I don't want to shoot management consultants, but I think um, there's a lot of pressure in these yeah. big companies to keep the money coming in. And the easiest way you can do that, so if that's a good idea for Croydon, it must be a good idea for every other borough, so let's just replicate go it. around, tell everyone you need a digital strategy. Yeah. But I'm talking about the Bajara computer and the library that's got a hold of this digital transformational information thinking, yeah. we need to upgrade it from the 1983 <laughs> version you got there. At the it's, got a, it's got a floppy disk, yeah, yeah. 10 mega... Yeah, because yeah, all they use it to do is actually renew a book, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. the job, yeah. you know? And I look at that and say, is that part of your digital strategy then, yeah. you know? And uh, but they've never been to that library. They've been yeah. to the corporate headquarters. Because you don't put suits in, you know, uh, little libraries. No, no, no. 
And so we are those, we are the delivery consultants. We're kind of like embedded in communities because of this regeneration um, aspect. And you know, Tower Hamlets is known as one of the poorest boroughs in London. Yeah, it is. But it's one of the richest councils because it's got a lot of history as well. A lot of history. history. A lot of seek history as well because well, I'm writing a paper on that at the moment. <laughs> kind of such a fun man now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, one of the things that attracted me to what you were doing was just seeing some of the posts well, that you put up. London, I thought, you know, for me, London history is the VNA exhibition. I was like, wow, yeah. look what I got here. And as far as I was concerned, that was it. And then I saw some of the stuff that you were putting up, and I was like, what is this? And then I remember like one day, like I said, I remember going and taking my kids to Tutankhamun exhibition. You went, oh, around the corner, there's this, and there's it. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm in Harrison. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Considering I grew up in London, I was at Woodnight Sea College from 92 to 93. Right. We'd take the tube into London and go trocadero and play games and come back. That was it. Yeah. You know, my interest was there. I would have gone. I would have known. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the little history of the Sikhs. This yeah. is, as far as I knew, I thought that was your prominent, prominent job, but <coughs> obviously not. You're busy as hell as a, as a project manager. Can you tell me about the little history of the Sikhs, its conception, its thoughts, how you came into it and and how it's evolved to what is, what is a beautiful place here today. Oh, I agree. So the story's going to be in parts, really. Um, take, take as long yeah. as you need. Because for me, that, that, the fascination is knowing how somebody went, man, I've got this. And then six years out, 10 years out, 12 years out, maybe even a month later, it becomes Something, a whole yeah. piece. You know, how a word becomes a whole paragraph, how a paragraph becomes a whole book. Yeah, and that, I've reflected on this journey a lot, and it's one that, you know, um, there's a lot of times at certain points I could have just said, that's enough, I've done what I wanted to do, and now I'll do something else. And like I said to you earlier, that I get bored very quickly. Yeah. So I've worked for nearly 23 boroughs, 32 projects. I've got no issue um, leaving work and starting new work. Yeah. Whereas my wife, she's been in the same employment for years, and the big struggle is I don't want to leave. No, no, for another so job, every right? two years I've moved apart, so I know how Yes, yeah, right, so I'm, I don't tie any roots, I don't really make any friends where I go, you know, yeah. it's work, work hard, move on, yeah. you know. I've got a few friends, um, but that's only social likes, you know, it's nothing yeah. more than pressing like on a few people I've met. Um, so for me, a little history of the Sikhs, every time I went to a London borough, yeah. you can actually go into an archive in that local area, and being Sikh, you sing and God. Let's yeah. look up who the Sings and Gods are in the area, okay. who they were in the past. So when I went to Croydon, when I went to Bexley, Lewisham, Southwark, Barnet, Brent, I'm in these areas, I'm delivering community projects, yeah. I'm working out their community, I might have to work out what my own community's yeah. history is. I haven't worked in Ealing yet, but if I worked in Ealing, I'll be there all year. So Harringay, um, Tottenham, and you know what? I just found that there's so much Sikh history. And this is in my work, I was doing this. But little history, really. Um, in the 90s, I was explaining that I was a collector, and my cousins were collectors, stamps, coins, that kind of stuff. That's fine, but how do you get into collecting? I know how I yeah. got into collecting. So the collecting I like shiny, shiny things. I was like, yeah, no. So for me, it was my probably my older cousin okay. who lived down the road. His dad had probably kept things, my bub buddy, um, my, my dad's jab daddies, but yeah. we had two houses on the same road. So 
and he had the full set of encyclopedias, he had breeders di digest, so he had a better job yeah. than, than we had in factories in our family. Yeah. Um, my uncle went to a boys' school, like a, a school that he had to go to London for, um, and they had education in their front room because yeah. they had lots of books. And then he had coins and he had his own stuff from East Africa okay. and he would show you these things. And if someone shows you one coin and you look out for it, then you want to get your own one, yeah. right? So that's how the coin collecting started. And then stamps and then the reading started from actually visiting your uncle's house and just picking up a book and Reader's Digest where it tells you all these books you can buy and these magazines that come through, you know? And so for, how do you start with that? That's your influence. It's yeah. going to come in your family or your goddaughter. Um, where someone shows you something, you know, and um, East London at that time, I remember in 1999, some of these um, images you see around here, yeah. they're framed by a certain person, and that person's father was a collector of this type of stuff, yeah. and they put an exhibition on that day, I'm getting a level road, and at the time, I thought I was Indian in the 90s, so yeah, yeah, everyone was an Indian society, an Indian Indian, so I had a lot of Gandhi stuff, because yeah. I'd bought... Gandhi stuff in the markets, you know, anything that said India either had had the flag or something to do with partition or something to do with Gandhi. That's what I saw, you know, and I had lots of it. And then I realised actually through this exhibition, there's similar stuff on Sikh um, items only. You just have to change your perspective and how you look for this. Yeah, you search terms. And yeah, well now <laughs> it's search terms. At that time, when you go to a guy and they look at you and you say, just show me anything with a turban, not just show me anything Indian. Yeah. And then you're trying to make out, are they seat turbans or other turbans? I realised later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's how I did it. Just show me things with turbans. I'm only interested in seat stuff. Yeah. I don't want all this other stuff. And then there were postcards, collectibles, little things. And they were affordable in those days. At markets, 50p, yeah. 80p, a pound would be a, like a big deal, you know. Exactly. Um, so I just used to pick them up. And my cousins remember that. They remember us going to markets and me dragging them for an afternoon out to markets in East London. And I can't believe it was available. Like, it yeah. wasn't a hard find. You just go to the same place every month, and there'd That'd be a military collector, and then you'd have another box, and it'd be full of coins from India, and then, you know, postcards of army regiments, and... So you didn't have a specific item, mine was coins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you didn't have a specific item, was it anything that... I think coins, and, yeah, coins and stamps initially, but the Sikh faith yeah. was a Punjabi, yeah. a Sikh, Someone who I could relate to yeah. in printed matter yeah. on a newspaper, on a postcard. And then Mr. Bala, he had like the historical stuff. And then it kind of showed me that actually it's available. Yeah. So then you have to go to better markets. <laughs> you know, you, have, you can't just stay local. You have to go yeah. to Notting Hill in those days. Yeah. And I remember there was a whole box of auction catalogues once. And there was a, an auction at um, Sotheby's probably. Yeah. And you know, at that time it was the Deleuze thing stuff. Yeah, of and they had it sitting the bus, exactly. Yeah, they had it sitting there, the thing. But it was ten pounds. Oh, the actual catalog? Yeah, and I was like, that's too much. Oh, I got about five pounds with me, yeah. so I didn't buy it. Yeah. But I just thought it'd be available everywhere, yeah. you know? But they had it there, you know? And I've got it now. There, there's, there it is there, you know? So that's forty pounds now. <laughs> right? The Elden Hall. Yeah, the Elden Hall. Oh, yeah, right. that's okay. the Christine Elden Hall catalogue. Um, so I remember seeing that in the market thinking I can't afford it yeah. and I went through my youth thinking a lot of things I've seen them but I can't afford it because yeah. right? where is my income going to come from but the information was there and it yeah. started to connect together and, um, and like I said I was quite able to retain information quite easily yeah. so it was just another data point in my head you mm -hmm. know it's lots of data points and, um, and then this stuff started to come together when the internet started to launch yeah. 
um, and it was much cheaper than it is now in those days. And now yeah, the, inter- like, the internet broke yeah, the system, didn't it? Yeah, it broke the system, but it was affordable still for me. Yeah. You know, and postage and packing was a big worry in those days because yeah. it felt like it was dead money. But now I'd rather pay for the postage and packing just to get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I pay recording most of the time. Um, but I very, do very few transactions now. Um, and I think, so when I got married, all of this stuff was in boxes. Okay. And it was in the loft, in our old house, in my mum's house. When you say boxes, how many boxes? Cause... Yeah, I've got a massive loft. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it wasn't framed as well. Okay. So it was just loose leaf. Yeah. And then slowly, slowly, as my income started to improve, I just give pieces to um, Abdad and he would frame them in the same style yeah. and black frame, light inserts, and nearly everything I'll have will be framed in the yeah. same way. And they're just ready for exhibition, you know, for God of God exhibition. Yeah. Um, what I like to do, and Afdar did so, them himself. Afdar did those exhibitions himself. So I said, do it the same style. But my stuff, if it's got any value to it, and I saw you walked in and you picked something out, yeah, which I thought was quite interesting. It's a nice story. Cause, uh, yeah, because that, to me, when I first saw that, you had to buy that page by page. Yeah. And it was a lot of money. Yeah. So that's why I framed it. And now I get that a fraction of the cost and I get the whole book. You know, and I get it through international and being able to read French. Like I said, I've never seen it in, in print. In fact, I've, you know, PDF, everybody's got yeah, one, I've, yeah. I've got that. But I've never physically seen one. So, yeah. so I think I'm one, two, three, four, five, six, I'm just in this room now. Six books of the same one that you've never seen. It's just one visit to Romford. Yeah, exactly. And there's loads of them. There's loads of stuff here in these folders. But... You say you started as a kid. So yeah. how old would you have been when you started collecting? Um, I, I would say initially collected the mid nineties because yeah. I was at Imperial, so I remember going to Notting Hill Market a lot. Yeah. just buying things, but generally cheap. Um, and then the internet ninety nine onwards with the AOL dial up. Yeah. Um, getting on, and I was just collecting. I wasn't doing anything else on the internet. I was just looking at this stuff and buying whatever came up yeah. for very cheap prices. Um, and that's where most of these ones came from. And now I don't buy those because I've got hundreds now yeah. in folders. So yes, yeah, so it would be mid-90s in the markets, yeah. late 80s with my cousins in the local area, then London markets, and then um, the internet early years. So I'm guessing your ambition with all these was just, just to collect? So I thought every item told me a story. Okay. And I just, you know, I, I collected anything that was flat because then I could store it. So at the time, there was Shester collectors going around yeah, as well. Yeah, and I was like, what am I going to do with the Shester? Like, my mum's going to turn me off and I don't know where to put it. I was, so I just didn't collect Shesters. I was always one of those, I was like, I want a Shester. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I've got a tenner here and these aren't going for like three, four, five, anything. <laughs> and then I was like, I want a glump. And then you're on eBay like, yes, I've got the open bid. I've got no yeah. bid. Oh, it's sharp to four hundred pounds. Yeah. Uh, so I I was selling a lot of stuff like that, you yeah. know, because I was getting rid of my India stuff. Yeah. And that was helping the PayPal account stay topped up. Okay, yeah. So if I needed to bid for something, I'd just sell something else, get it, and then buy these. Yeah. So it was re- a recycling exercise with inflation because I'd yeah, it much yeah. cheaper, right? I remember doing that a lot, and I remember one banknote I sold, which was the Khalistan banknotes, and I bought them in Scotland for five pounds. Yeah. And the bidding went up to four, five, six hundred pounds. I remember we buying an iPod yeah. and then buying loads of these little things with it. I sent it in short delivery to the collector yeah. in Holland. And they tried to say they didn't receive it through PayPal. And I was like, no, I know you'd received it here. And they went quiet. Yeah. They overpaid for that. They know they overpaid, but I didn't tell them to bid six hundred pounds for something that I bought for a fiver, yeah. you know. Um, so I kept one. So this is what I would do. I'd go to Scotland, go to collectors, go to Devon, buy two of things. And then know that one's 
mine and one you know, fun to seek history. And it was nice because um, my jobs took me to all these places. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not going to get drunk in the evening at a pub. I'm not going to do that. So I would just research next morning, find a bookshop, go in. Yeah. That. That's how I did it. You know, that, cause my work would pay for the journey. That's and I was working in Middlesbrough, Scotland, wherever. Mm-hmm. Liverpool, I worked a lot. And those collector's markets, they had things. You know, that was yeah. Punjabi or Sikh. And if you tell them, they know. If you say, I'm looking for items from Punjab or Sikh, then I knew people who used to fly out to India and get them, yeah. and then come bring them back, and they'd sell them to me. I thought, I'll be to India, I can't wait. I've got five. But then they taught me how to do it, but then I used to buy them in India as well. So did you, did you like, collect a load of contacts of collectors' markets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. if they ever found anything, would they like... Yeah, they can't, I've still got it, there's a, there's a card book there. Yeah. They just still give me first refusal on things that awesome. may be on interest to Mr. Singh down here, who will readily pay you. Um, and that's all I found, and... You know, I don't drink, don't smoke, don't do a lot of lottery gambling. I do a little bit of nonsense. So this was my the way of just yeah. all like my voice. This is like a secret yeah. voice is um, um, just collecting this stuff. And now the problem I have is these artifacts tell a story. Yeah. And that's how little history started. Because as I collected, um, I started teaching Punjabi at Gurdam Sir Punjabi School in 2003. Three. So now we're getting into got my first job, earning good money, getting bonuses, yeah. yeah. So that kind of thing. Oh, probably. Really, twenty-five, twenty-seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would have been twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. that's it. So, two thousand and three, and then what happened? Yeah, twenty-six. What happened then was, Punjabi school grew very quickly. Yeah. So we Ilford, lots of Sikh families. We had a school which was downstairs at the Granthi's house. And a lot of recruits, so we were churning kids 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock classes oh, yeah. because it's just a house. Yeah. Um, and what Fadi was doing um, was the application form was never going to ask you about educational needs or anything like that. Yeah. And no Punjabi parents ever going to tell you your kid needs support or actually. As far as I'm concerned, I've dropped them off, I'll pay you the money to teach and that's it, they only paying the money, we were a free one, right? So they were just going shopping. That's even worse. Yeah, so they were just putting their kids with us. And, and, and I wanted to help do that. And I, I think that's where I learnt my trade. Because yeah. what happened is, Baji would go around and get the kids who were the naughty kids. They weren't naughty, they were just difficult yeah. for teachers from India to handle. Well, the way teachers was you know, in a different way. Yeah, so they would come to me. And because I could speak Essex or from Romford, yeah. and I could maybe talk at their level rather than talk down to them yeah. we could just sit down and say okay 15 minutes we're going to do this and 15 minutes we did do that yeah. not an hour and 15 minutes after say 15 minutes which is what teachers you know struggle with you know so i just divided my two and a half hour lesson into 15 minute slots and yeah. i needed to have variety in that slot you can't keep teaching part for two and a half hours no. right right so we do 15 minutes then we stop then we do 15 and then all this stuff started to become a teaching aid yeah. because it helped me kill 15 minutes. <laughs> Bring a coin in, let's talk about the coin. What do you see? How does it look like? What's written in Punjabi? Work it out with the order on this coin, you know? That was good. Let's take this newspaper. What does it look like? He's got a bug on. Is he a soldier? That 15 minutes killed that one. <laughs> take a newspaper. So these became teaching aids. Yeah. And I was like, this is good. This is making me easy to prepare for lessons because I don't have to do all the page 37, work out the answers at home and then take them into Punjabi school. Don't have to check spellings, you know. I don't have to do anything, right? I just take in my stuff and chill, you know. Did you have some interesting dialogue with the kids? Did you get yes. some, you know, it's interesting when you talk to kids because 
that will bring up a viewpoint or something that you've not considered. So these, these are interesting. I showed them a photograph of Sikhs building the Panama Canal. Okay. The Panama Canal was built by the Spanish in yeah. the 1850s. They needed hard workers. They reached out to the Sikhs who had a reputation and they shipped them over to dig a canal. And they put them in there and there's a, there's a Gurdwara in Panama City. And there's a Panama Canal. So I put this post out thinking this is a great bit of history that I'm going to tell the kids and they never have heard of it before, blah, blah, blah. And you know, little kids stood up and said, you're lying. I said, what are you talking about? I wasn't even singing little one with a phone book. Like, you're lying, you're lying, that's not, that's not people. My dad's a builder, and he wears boots when he digs, and none of those things are wearing any boots, they're just standing in the mud. Yeah. I was like, how did you spot that? You know, like, literally, they, they were probably on a break, it's just yeah. a group of seats, they weren't actively digging, but it was a photo from Panama, I knew yeah. that. But I just looked at the kid, up. Well, they're so sharp, they notice yeah. everything. So I'm telling a story, of digging, yeah. he's going to my dad digs and he has to wear boots, health and safety and all of that. Yeah. So you're lying to me, they're not diggers. <laughs> right? And I, these little things then helped me, like how do I tell these stories to a yeah. young audience? And all of these stories were for the young, but actually as we set up a little history, it's the same stories I'm telling. I'm no, not even not changing. Not capture your imagination. You can't go into depth, especially when you're trying to convey a thousand different things. It's like, yeah. Bang, bang, bang. That's it always snip, like you've yeah. got snippets. I call it a little history because yeah. they're little bite-sized manageable chunks, yeah. you know, because for kids it keeps their interest, yeah. for parents it stops them getting bored, yeah. for the elders they can tell their own story in that same snippet. So that's how the history worked. And So I did this from 2003 to 2009, yeah. and then from 9 to 13 um, we had always had a meeting at the Gurdwara about camp. Yeah, yeah. Now, Camp Day 4, yeah. you know what it is. It's Chessington yeah. or it's whatever. Or Towers for us in the UK. Right? So it's Chessington yeah. or Thorpe Park in the UK, in London. And my push to them was you know, people around here have money, they all go to Chessington and Thorpe Park anyway yeah. in the summer. So why do we have to spend all the camp money to for two and a half grand to go there again? You know? And I had some supporters around the audience. And over the years, we managed to turn them into Sikh history tours instead. Yeah. Kids just want to go with their friends anyway. Yeah. So we took them to Brighton, then the Pavilion, Sikh history tour of Kent. We took them to Shepherd's Bush, or took them to Gurumayu Grand, or took them to the Aquarium, but with a bit of my tours in it. Yeah. You know? And then the older group, one afternoon, would be one of my tours. Yeah. You know? They would just come with me. So I was testing it. At that time, it was called Garam Sikh history tours. That's yeah. what it was called. And the Gurdwara were very supportive and they allowed me to take a group with, you know, people. And all I was doing, I remember, was testing my um, product. Yeah. Grounding it in proper, like, um, challenges. Yeah. Travel, um, CRB checks, DBS, yeah. all that. All of that stuff, you know, English. I do the tours in English, Punjabi, French and Italian. I can do it in, right? Okay. So I can switch languages when I'm doing the tour, but no one's challenging me on the Italian or French yet. Okay. So I can say whatever I want, they don't know, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? But Punjabi English is fine, because it's a Punjabi school tour. Of course. So if we're not speaking Punjabi on the tour, what are we doing? You know? yeah. So, so um, that was happening. And then I was like reaching out to two big organisations in the UK at the time who had received lottery funding. Mm. Are we allowed to say yeah, who yeah. we are? So there was if, you, if you want to, if you want well, to mention, no, everyone knows who they are. They? Yeah. There was only two in Anglo yeah, space, you know. Yeah. There was Ash at the time and UKPHA. Yeah. And me being like the corporate bundar I was at that time, I was very formal on email, sending them little snippets of histories I discovered and stories and expecting a reply. Yeah. And I don't know how busy they are, but it took me about two or three years to get Ash's response. Yeah. 
three years I was waiting, and I just thought I could work under them. Yeah, they course. would put the band there. They're doing Anglo Sikh heritage trail. Oh, yeah. Mine's a London trail at the time. And what I'd actually done is, through the camps, is develop the Monopoly board for Sikh history. So every location on the Monopoly board, I've been there, yeah. I've explored it, and I've connected it to Sikh history through a building and artifact and that. So some people knew that I was giving this lecture on Monopoly tours in London. Yeah. Now Monopoly tours in London are generally a pub at each point. Yeah, of course it is. Right? It's like the old central line where you used to get off. Yeah, that's um, that was that's Christmas Eve yeah, for the police. That's what the uni university kids yeah. used to do, Monopoly tour. So I turned it into a Sikh history tour based on Monopoly. Yeah. Regent Street, Oxford Street, and the other one um, in Green, what is the third one? Um, Regent Street, Oxford Street, Bond Street. Street. They've all got Sikh history. Right, so Regent Street, you'll see the Maharaja of, of um, Maharaja Ranjit Singh's um, Shastarde on display at the Wallace Collection. On Oxford Street, at the base of it, is the British Museum with the, the Star Bunga. And Bond Street, you'll see the Patiala necklace in the, in the shop um, for Sotheby's. I, um, I don't know. Right? So all of this is just those three, right? So Vine Street, Marlborough Street, and um, the Orange ones, they're all to do law and order. There's a police station in each one of those, the yeah. Street Magistrate yeah. Court, etc all got a Sikh history link um, as well, okay. right? Um, if you go to Trafalgar Square, the Strand and Fleet Street, all three of them are Sikh history. Fleet Street, all of these are printed just on Fleet Street, on the Strand actually, right? Okay, before I get to yeah, yeah. any of this, how did you yeah. get to know all this history? By going there, I'm so, trying so to get this one, yeah. So I, I know you went through yeah. the, you did stuff for the kids. No, but what and I'm you've saying... got all this, you know, you've got all these things yeah. around here that provide an element of history. But then you've engaged in finding out the physical history, right? Yeah, definitely. How so did you do that? So, so, say for example, the Old Kent Road. Yeah. So I went to the Old Kent Road, I'm looking around thinking, I don't think there's much Sikh history. So, worth two pounds on the board. So, worth two pounds on the So, this is going to be a struggle, yeah, right? Exactly. The Old Kent Road. So, I'm looking around, I've worked in Southwark, yeah. I've worked on the Aylesbury Estate. Um, so, I knew the area, so I went there again. Now, we look, keep looking, keep looking. And there's a church there called the Pembroke College Mission. Okay. It's just off the old Kent Road in Walworth. And, and the Ash, they had a lecture once on someone called Charles Breer Andrews, who I call an eyewitness to Sikh history. Okay. So that's an independent lecture. He saw the, um, the Morjas. Okay. He saw the Guru Gabbar Morjas. He wrote Morja. eyewitness. Okay. It's Charles Breer Morjas, the Agali Morjas, 1921, 22, 23. He was honestly reporting all of that back to okay. the UK. It's printed in newspapers. So I knew that. Actually, when he finished at Cambridge as a theology graduate, he served for one year or two years before his India exam at the Pembroke College Mission, just off the old Kent Road, okay. at the church, where when I was working on the Aylesbury Street, I knew the person, because that was church as a community hall. Okay. So he's linking all that history together, yeah. saying, okay, old Kent Road, here's how it links to Sikh history, because of this person. And it's, it's the art of telling a story, you know, yeah, and I that's think that's really something that, you know, when I do my work um, in data, it's quite boring, it's sitting in Excel, working out stories and assessing risks from different people. Yeah. But these are the real stories running around in my head, you know, yeah, it's how do I tell that story. So that's just one example, but I've done that for every single location of the Monopoly board. Train, trained it for two years at Punjabi camp yeah. as a lecture that you give so you're not just going to do a three golden rules lecture every ten in every year yeah. right these are the three gold I think if every kid in East London knows the three golden rules you know because every lecturer who comes yes, so these are the three golden so I had to innovate you know so I had to and then we played Monopoly so you land yeah. I tell you the Sikh history they'll never forget it now 
Awesome. You know? So that's what we do. So then I thought, well, how do I launch this? So we went to speak to Ashton and Gallagher, get clobbered by Waddington by putting any of this on the internet. You know? And then um, Mandeep saw her, saw the lecture at Barking. He said, no, I'll help you. You don't have to put Monopoly on it. Just put each card that looks similar. Yeah. And then you start playing it. So he helped me build a website from Barking Gordon in the early days. And he's now at Gurdwara Aid, he does that. And he was a nice guy and he helped me bring it, bring my work outside of the Sikhs, outside of the Gurdwara Punjabi school space. Yeah. The first one who believed me and said, actually, leave the website to me then. If you're struggling, just send me what you want on a website and I'll put it up. Yeah. So I started putting the histories up on the website. It wasn't a flashy website, it was just a WordPress site and it was doing its job. But for me, I had a website. Exactly. Okay. And then. Um, a local neighbour here. I said, look, I'm struggling to work out how to do these tours. I've researched everything. I've been, I work in London all the time. Hmm. I have breaks. I walk around. I've found these churches. I've found all this stuff. And now, you know, we've got 108 locations. I've got eight different tours in London, eight different walking tours. Hmm. I do specialist tours. We do just for Udham Singh. I could show you everything on Udham Singh right in London. It's a long tour yeah. because you have to go location to location like he did. It's not a neat walking tour, but if you want it, I'll do it. You know, yeah. um, we have a Sikh women's tour. The Sikh women memorialised in London. Sikh women, not Punjabi, yeah. Sikh. And, and when we see they are in London, they memorialised. One, two, three, four, five of them I've got on a tour. I've got their art in galleries. I've got pictures of them in museums. Sikh women, Punjabi women. I've got the police officers at Scotland Yard. Yeah. We've got um, in Parliament Square. Images of them in Parliament Square, Caxton Hall is associated with Sikh women before Udham Singh, you know. Well, how did, for, for me, I, I still can't fathom. How you do? Yeah, 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 it's weird. It's weird. I, I think well, for me, I get, I get to London and I go, right, it's Harrods, there's a cheese shop, yeah, yeah. there's this, there's you, that. I think the go to Joe Malone, yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. But, but the way you, what I mean, for, for me, it's funny, how have you gone from, so you know, what can I see? So you know when you went to the Trocadero? Yeah. You enter the Trocadero, you see those um, horses with that fountain that everyone takes yeah, the yeah, of course, yeah. Near there is Coventry Street. Yeah. So on that corner at Coventry Street in 1914, Sophia Leipzig and Indian women used to sell little pins. Yeah, yeah, little, That's the location of that photograph, oh, okay. right? So if you can put that context with a physical geography, this story comes to life. Yeah. So we do this in France. So when we go to France on a battlefields tour, yeah. I've got images of the Sikh soldiers lying out with the stars and drying them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take them back to the same riverbank. I said, here he is, 100 years on. You, you sit in the same position. Now that kid will never forget right. that he went there and he sat in the same position where a forefather sat. You don't forget because it's the same yeah, as it's... when I, when as a kid you research the lives of the gurus. Yeah. And then you go to Trindaburj for the first time. And yeah, you go yeah. to Kuban yeah. for the first time. You go to, yeah. Those are things that etch in my mind. Yeah. You'll never forget so, them. So for me, with the young people, it's about creating an experience yeah. that makes it alive for them and then they'll never forget. Yeah. Now, I don't know what I get from it, but I do get something from it because I can see it that they're never going to forget. Yeah. I'm watching them and I can see that this is going to have an impact on their life. Yeah. They're either going to value their style a lot more, yeah. or they're going to care for it a lot more, like these soldiers care for it. Of course, you yeah. know, um, the way they do keith and all this I see on the tours, and that's why I do them. Yeah. I can't, I can't just put Facebook posts up. No, I you understand. Know, I, understand. You know, I have to see people learning and believing it, and then say, actually, you know what? I'm going to go home and read some more, and yeah. I get that. all of those books are feedback. I think it'd be really good, buddy, if you pass in the books and just flick through the feedback. 
Or older. Yeah, and I, I think it really kind of, to me, I make them write it in their own handwriting. Yeah. I'm lucky how scruffy it is, I'll read it. But it has to be real feedback, you know. Um, and then I, yeah, I, saw, I saw the ones from university the other day. Yeah. One said, this is the best lecture I've been to today, why don't I concentrate that <laughs> But you've been three lectures there, at the end of the day, you said you didn't fall asleep with my yeah, this is about, I would say something though, that they were able to engage yeah, with, with the content that was provided. But to me, at Warwick on Tuesday, to me, it took me back to Punjabi school. It's the same, to me, it's the same thing. The same questions, the same order. Right, the same lesson plan. It's so. always Man United yeah. It's always Chelsea or Arsenal first. Yeah. They get those stories out of the way. Because yeah. I link them to places. Of Every history is linked to a place, you know. So I thought I was doing um, geographical history, the yes. history of a certain geography. But other academics said it's also social history as well because the stories I'm telling, you know, whereas I, I thought I'm just telling you the history of a place. Yeah. They said, no, you're also telling the history of people in that place. Yes. So that's fine. And, that, and that's the two kind of areas at university. Apparently it's quite growing and big, geographical history and much social history. You know? yeah. And I didn't, didn't even know about that stuff. Yeah. I just thought I turned up at Trafalgar Square, look around, this is Sikh, can yeah. you believe it's Edith, it's 1850, you know? <laughs> and we didn't even know, we just, you know, that was, that was the one the reason I produced one of my maps was we did the Saki in the square every, every yeah. year and they would board up the statues yeah. and then people put their lango plates on the boarding, you know, and pile up the rubbish. If you took that boarding off, it says, under Havelock statues, as soldiers, your labours, your privations and your suffering will not be forgotten by a grateful country. Yeah. So the story behind it is 1857, where the Sikh regiment, mutiny, they protected oh. all these women and children. And Havelock stood up and he said, you know, he, they prevented these um, women and children being harmed in the canal. He said, soldiers, your labours, your privations, your suffering and your valour will not be forgotten by a grateful country. Now that was recorded in the diary of James Altham, who yeah. witnessed it. And his statue is just down the road. Okay. So he's at Northumberland Avenue. So you've got Altham, who you can say he said this, memorialised in Trafalgar Square. You walk around the back of the statue and it says the Port Osborne Regiment of Sikh. Oh. You know? And that's been in Trafalgar Square for so long, yet whenever we did Vasaki in the Square or whatever... I got a few pigeons and walk away, man. I don't even know. I saw, because, like you said, the ge geographical history and the social history, I, I look at a couple of other sites which are very similar, where they do London talks and they're like, this used to be an old police station, it's in Trafalgar Square, and I was like... Oh, the new one? Yeah, I, was like, I never knew that was a That's why right, it's in the Sikh history, yeah, that's like, you used to keep an eye on pickpockets from there. And that's what, that's what I never knew, yeah, yeah. you know, and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. for me, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I could never understand how, or how much research or how much time must have gone in for you to go, this is this, this is this. So you know, you know, there's a keepney called Ravinda Bals in Grantain in West London. Yeah. He had the same problem as well. He was asking, how do you make up these stories all the time? I said, see, I'm not making, he said, do you think it's just the universe works for you? And I said, I don't think it works for me. Because I'm looking for this stuff. Yes. I'm walking those streets, looking for connecting spaces. And that's a story to. that's based on reading all of this stuff. Yeah. The stories are already here. I'm just trying to connect them. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the team's growing now. There are people who read. Yeah. There are kids who are reading out there, and my team is quite young. Sure. So when they come out on my tours, they take over on something. And I say, don't worry, I'm here. Yeah. Like, just be, and you'll grow your confidence. When I started my tours, we started in 2014. So, yeah, so you're sorry. saying, sorry, you were saying what, 2014 you contacted Ashed? 
No, so before that, so 2010s, and you know, I was struggling to see how do I deliver this. Mm-hmm. I thought I needed a big logo, a company behind me, you know, someone. It just took me nine years to make a logo. Well, I could, <laughs> yeah, but I just thought because I, I recognised you know, UK PHA and uh, yeah. Hash, they were the big ones in, at play, and I just wanted to do the stories. I didn't want to run an organisation. Yes. And then I was advised by someone, look, if you're quality. Don't worry that they're not coming to you or they're not responding to your emails or whatever. He said, just do it. If you're quality, they will come to you. We're knocking on your door. Yeah, and, they're, and they're knocking on my door. And they were. And you know what? And I, that was probably a bit of bad stuff on my side. We had the likes, we had the follows when I was doing my posts and all that in the early years. But the moment they said, do you want to collaborate? Then I didn't respond because... I felt I knocked on your door for three or four years. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. You know, yeah. and I and it was it was bad of me as well because I see <clears> they're doing a lot. And you know, parts of my team work with them as well, and that's yeah. good. I mean, I got a lot of respect for the work they do. Yeah. But I don't know if they've got an inbox of a hundred emails a day, but I know I don't get that. So yeah. I know anyone who contacts me, they get a personal response. You know? Yeah. And I just felt I had something, but how do I tell that to someone who I don't know? You know, yeah. how do I present that? So I didn't know, but as soon as I've said to me, just do it. If you're quality, just call it what you want to call it. Do it yourself. Yeah. But then I thought there's hundreds of SIG organisations that are just so small that, you know, we have no structure, backup accounts, this, that and the other. So I worked meticulously to make sure my organisation works to that standard that I do, my yeah. projects. You know? um, so we do European tours, we do UK tours. Um, and the London tours just raise the money to, for me to be able to offset the risk of a European tour. That was the aim. Yeah. You know, um, and just meet so many interesting people. So I used to think I needed to know all of this before I could do a tour. Now I can present a fraction of this and the audience actually helped me learn. Yeah. You know, so we... So I bring something in, so... No, they, they, they are, they've done their own reading. Yeah. They've, they've read some of these books. So they come on the tour because they know something. Yeah. And then they add to the tour. So it's not just me talking. And now we've got Hafgir and Najumni who take over speaking parts. Yeah. And then I've got a panel of experts and authors. So I'll invite them. Yeah. Why do I need to do all the talking? I'm reading your book, so why don't you just present yeah, yourself? They enjoy it and they get to sign a few books and sell them, you know. And I just get to get a bit more um, uh, credence, exposure. Yeah, exposure. But I like, I've read these books and now these people respond to my emails. A <laughs> little history of Sikhs is not just... London, though, like you say, you, yeah. you're doing your, so, obviously you did, you're doing one towards Gravesend, Kent. Kent, obviously, places like that. Yeah. Again, you, I know you were going into 32 boroughs and everyone did. That's how it started, yeah, but now but it's UK. I was about to say, you're, you're everywhere now. Oxford, um, Kent is interesting because when I saw the Lahore gun in Oxford, yeah. the Sutherland gun, it's an amazing cannon and it's yeah. kept in Maidstone Museum, 20 minutes from Gravesend Gurdwara, right? Everyone goes to Gravesend Gurdwara. Yeah, yeah, I think they should just have a signpost saying, if you want to learn a little history, you just go down to the museum. They all know me there now, with yeah. the, seeing who comes down. They just want visitors. Yeah. You know, they just want visitors. It's a, it's a barracks kind of museum. Yeah. And they're the highlight of their museum. And then, you know what? In the cabinets, they've got Shastas picked up on the battlefields in the sea court. Okay. They've got, uh, they say, an Akali, now they've got a bowl, probably belonging to an Akali Sikh, right? Yeah. And it's just a bhakta. Yeah, but it's right? still, isn't it? But for me... It's the fact that it's a bhakta from... No, no, but for me, I know what it is. But yeah. for them, they picked it up on the back with it. It's shiny, we'll take that, yeah. you know? Um, and they've got the blood-soaked jacket of Lieutenant Grimes, who was struck by a Sikh, and all yeah, the blood seeped in. And they've kept it for all those years, and it's in, 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 in there. In Mason. You know, in Maidstone Museum. So that's it. But, but to be honest, I think every cathedral has got a 
monument now. I think Tony Paul went to Norfolk. He saw one in Sandringham and Norwich. I've got Salisbury on there. I've got St Paul's. It's got lots of Punjab stuff. And there's three memorials to Punjab in St Paul's. And until 1967, the main pulpit from where the priest speaks, until yeah. night was from Punjab. So where he stands up and yeah. starts giving his sermon, at the bottom of it, it's got the Punjab frontier force, blah, 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 all written on the bottom of it. Yeah. And now they've just moved it, you know, because they've got another pulpit. And all these stories come together, you know, and it's just like Punjab was a rich kingdom yes, it was. with rich crafts and rich things that the West wanted. Yeah. So they brought it all here and they used it. Yeah. You know, and I think if that can unlock a story for a young kid or an adult and it brings them closer to our heritage and then ultimately gives them a little bit of confidence so they can keep this little, keep on a learning journey hmm. without thinking, I've got to fit in. You don't yeah, have to fit in, you know. They, they value the stuff that they've got of ours and, and we, we just need to learn about it. It's not we're ignorant, it's just we're not exposed to it. Exactly. You know. And that, that's, that's the problem, there's a lack of exposure. Yeah. The more that, like I said, the exposure wasn't there until, until V&A came in and then everybody's like, right, still there. And I was talking to Singh today, I was like, February, I'm taking the kids to the V&A. Yeah. I probably won't now, now that you told me <laughs> yeah, about Yeah, you need to go wider. No, now people. that you told me about the, you know, I, I'd go by Marlboro and Vine. Yeah. Just, just for that, just yeah. because the kids play Monopoly. If I yeah. that's going to do that, show, but something like that, yeah. I didn't know about it. It's the exposure. So in the first thing, we used to call them like Monopoly tours. Yeah. But I just got so worried about Waddington sending me a letter saying, you know, we want 25 grand of this. So I spoke to a lawyer about, can they even, you know, there's a history yeah. of the Sikhs. There's a little history of the world back there. Yeah. And he said, no, they can't, they can't trademark little. Little's a word yeah. you can use, you know. So I had to get all of that done through a lawyer. And then when I went, then you've got the confidence yeah. to go into the space. You know? But the one piece of advice I did have at the time, and I ignored it, was they said, if you want to turn this into a viable product yeah. with you know, less marketing, is go a little history of the Punjab. Yeah. I said, why? And they said, yeah, because then you'll get the Muslims and the Hindus. Yeah, yeah, and then you don't have to worry. Sure. And I was like, no, 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 there's enough things that are going to support this, there's enough seats are going to be interested, and it's a struggle. Of course it is. You know, it's I know. You know, everyone knows, right? Yeah. How hard it is. And now I think, if I did call it a little history of the Pandal, and I did widen, because I did the Indian history before as well, that, that's all my history, it's fine. Um, but I wanted to be a specialist in Sikhs, yeah. because I, that's what I'm confident no, in. No, I understand. And I think, I was listening to one of Rambling's podcasts, and when he says that, Obviously, mother says, you know, we have this out there, but Sikhs are quite happy to drop 15 grand on another plate. That I 100% agree with. Totally, I totally agree. And like I said, I've seen it with, they are willing to spend a lot of money on something like that. But when you go, this book is £9.99, they go, see, man, we get it again. Find one of the other, and you're like, it cost me nine quid to put it together. So you know what what I say to people is, um, on the tours, when you get your instructions, it's just like, I would, I'm going to change it this year, I'm going to say to give, give whatever your number plate thinks you should be giving, <laughs> because I just say give what you can, but I'm just saying, if you're driving around in an S-class Merc with a, you know, whatever number plate, then I expect you With three shopping bags, which are sh- shopping bags. But you know what, I've never forced anyone to pay for the tours, I've just said, have an envelope with you, yeah. give it to me on the tour if you want to, if you don't give it to me, it doesn't matter, no one else is going to know if you yeah. gave it or not. There's no show or booking in or ticket system. But there no. should be. There's, there's, I, right. But you know, I'm following three or four other people who are doing tours around London. Yeah. They do them three times a day. Yeah. yeah. Even if we get two, three, four people. 
They charge quite nicely. No, I charge, and that advice I have. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, when I come back and I put the envelopes in there and we count them, I get more than the suggested yeah, donation. Yeah. That's fine. But what I feel is that traveling to London can be expensive. Yeah. Right, for a family, if you've traveled in, then I don't want to add £40, £20, £30 to your fee if you feel that that's a barrier. If you don't feel it's a barrier, because VNA is free, everything else is free, my time will be covered by the people I know yeah. who's going to be in there. Um, and I do, you know, touch wood, I do cover my costs and I do uh, raise X um, further surpluses, which I put into other stuff. But um, I've touched wood until now, it's never been a problem for me. For the other people in my team, yeah. if they want to go independent, then I, my advice to them would be charge with a this, this, this. Yeah. But because I do consulting and coaching and this is my hobby. Yeah, I yeah, understand. So like, because like, some books are a hobby, stuff is a hobby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And see, you know, well, I do I mean, want to tell you. Well, I understand that. Yeah. I understand that because you're like, well, they're just taking care of me on one side anyway, so it's okay. Yeah. Uh, but I have the professionalism that everything's accounted for, everything's yeah. paid for. Everything, everything's paid for up front with people, yeah. and donations are made to the places we go. Yeah. And you know, when you've got 25 people in a group of good income, you do raise 250, 300 pounds per yeah. trip. It's not, everything's you know, on my list. Yeah. Children are free, anyone benefits, anyone is free for every category you wanted to be, and yeah. I still get 250, 300 quid for four hours work, yeah. right? So, what I'm saying to kids now is just learn to read. Yeah. I'm not under license, but do it yourself. Why yeah. do I need to go? I'd rather go to Trafalgar Square, I'll go west, you go east, we'll meet back in four hours, you make your money. Yeah. But I, I want them to have that confidence. I think it's the best job in the world, you know? It's, it's, yeah, yeah, you're like walking, talking, Why do you want to work in Tesco? <laughs> yeah, it's walking, talking, your story. Yeah. It's just amazing. And, and you go to Oxford, the students do street tours all the time. Yeah. You bump into them all the time. So why are, they, why are our kids not doing it? Yeah, you know? and I totally agree, and that's, that's one of the things, you know, I, I do, I'd love for you to go to these little areas and go, yeah. here's, a, here's a seven second TikTok video in which you took onto all screens and go, here I am on Old Kent Road, here I am on here, here I am. And I wish, you know, I've got five TV drives there full of all my stuff that needs sorting out, yeah. which is fine. But I think um, now my younger team members and Urban Agulli, he does a lot of my media. If I just instruct him, then he'll do it. And yeah. That's fine, you know, I'd say that's what I want. And that's what I want out of this. I don't want to be doing every little thing where a team. That's right. How do you get over to the next generation? Yeah, but they've, but they've got the. So, what I say to them, if you come on free tours, yeah. you'll learn it. Then that's your induction done. Yeah. Then you'll work out where you want to fit into the tour story. If you want to speak, you can speak. Yeah. If you want to plan, you can plan. If you want to write, you can write. There is so much content out there. Well, I'm telling you that. Well, and you know, I don't even touch Sikki. I'm yeah. only touching like what's physical geographies. Yeah. But it all leads to these, you know, I'm covering all this stuff at the National Liberal Club and I'm trying to challenge to say, did our, did our grants inform liberal policy in the late yeah. 1800s and early 1900s? Because they were clearing slums, they were investing in education. Okay. The Liberal Party, first Prime Minister for four terms, Gladstone. Yeah. So he started to have a liberal society. Well, where Punjab was a liberal kingdom, it, yeah. right? They understood that from 1849. They had all the paperwork, they had everything. And they saw how it would run. They, so they saw the framework already. Yeah. So if you had a crime policy, you'd go to Chicago, see what's working, and nick it. That's what, yeah, that's what we do. That's, that's, that's what happens. You go yeah. there, you have, see how they do it, yeah. take a template, adapt it for your working policies. Yes, yeah, so if you wanted to, you know, to um, alleviate the poor, then you'd say, well, actually, in Lahore, a very educated kingdom, lots of establishments university and everyone was educated because yeah. we had the Ngaida system in the villages. Mm. 
So when the, unit, when the Liberal Party started to clear the slums in East London and get um, sponsorship for these, it's the same kind of ethos. We need an educated workforce yeah. to alleviate you out of poverty. So I'm, I'm beginning to form some theories on this. And to be honest, I don't want them to be kind of just pushed away. No, that definitely didn't happen. Then why is that painting up there? Yeah. Why is the leaksing up there? You know, next to Queen Victoria at the Liberal Club. Yeah. There's a hundred other Liberals all the way up. You know, yeah. but when you get to the top, you see the leaksing, Captain Colin Mackenzie, Prince Albert, and Prince Cairn, Queen Victoria, right at the top of this staircase, which I have good access to now. You know, and all these theories, and that's going even deeper yeah. and deeper and deeper. So when does this stop? When does our UK seek story? Yeah. yeah. And then even if, if I could relate it back and say, well, actually, no one's changed anything in the Guru Granth side, and maybe these people were taking items from it and learnings from it. That's, for me, a challenge. Yeah. That's, that's what I want to get to, but, you know, uh, that's, I will get to it. It's just we're in the journey. Can I start to ask the right questions to the right people and look for the evidence? But it's been there in my mind when I'm uncovering this stuff. Can I connect it back to Sikhi? Because they knew Sikhi. I think they understood the psychology of it. Yeah. They were trying to work yeah, out more. You, you, you saw that with the, the works that were coming out from Cunningham and McCall and people yeah. like that. And yeah. they, they were going, hang on, there's, if we look at what sociology is today, mm. they were looking for the frameworks of education, family, yeah. you know, and, and, and group. What we look at today in society, they were looking at those sorts of things and trying to implement those in other areas. And they saw how it worked. Yeah. And the other one, I think, you know, I think a lot, the thing that I never learned about my gurus was that they were not society reformers only, they were also architects of towns and cities, okay. right? And, you know, and an order and a structure, yeah. in what I work in regeneration. Yeah. You know, I, when I go to my projects, it's no, no different to what a gurudara does in a community. Yeah. You look after the hunger aspect, the social aspect, the support aspect, everything we do in a gurudara probably... People doing churches without the langa. Yeah. It's what they're trying to translate in a in a plan that they say we don't have, you know, we're not a religious country, but actually all the fabric yeah, yeah. of it is coming from the same roots, right? Yeah. You know, so to me, I'm going into a poor area in London, they're saying, oh, we have to fix the school, then we have to do this, and, and I say, yeah, but that's exactly what we would normally do in a in part of our faith, and yeah. we've been demonstrating that to you here anyway for the last 70, 80 years, you know. Every good that in East Africa had a social provision. Yeah, because my mum my mum grew up they were born in Darussalam, raised yeah. in Darussalam. They'd go to the, the Gurdara, the Gurdara was the school, it was the dispensary, food, dispensary is everything. Yeah. Everything was done in there. Yeah, and then even the, then that East Africa then came to the UK mm-hmm. and the Gurdara that I went to, why would you have a sports club there? But they knew there was a social fabric of benefit to it, yeah. yeah. Not just an a Punjabi school and a women's group for this thing. And you know, every Gurdwara's got something. Yeah. Not, you know, an elderly centre is what most of them Yeah, because you've got a daycare centre, yeah. bring the elderly, you deal with them. Which is, you know, and then that's the projects I'm trying to do. So I've got blueprints, you know. Yeah. But why is it not in the fabric of other faiths to have that social structure around it? Because if I went to the old Kent Road, they didn't want to build it around the church. The church is a community space. Yeah. And the government's going to give you everything else around it. That's because they're saying there's not a lot of Catholics or Christians there, you know. Yeah. That, or they don't want to walk into the church to access the service. Whereas we're still grounded to Sikhi, we're going to go to the Guru yeah, yeah. naturally, if we can access the well, That's where we, we um, go towards that, yeah. as a pull towards it. Uh, yeah, with, with regards to your talks, I know you've mentioned quite a few of them. Mm. <laughs> um, did you just, is it just something that just comes naturally to you? 
you know, you, you go to you go to camps. I, I, I say I go to camps. First thing I saw was the statue of the soldier, and I was like, yeah. well, okay, I'm on my way to God, but I want to stop there. Yeah, Gravesend. And I knew what that was, and then then I'm just like, what else is there? And I didn't know. So Mates, then we got Dover Castle. Yeah. We've got seat cannons there. Kent is littered with graves of all these um, people from India, officers. They're buried in graveyards in Kent because they came to the Garden of England to retire. Yeah. So they came to Kent and they passed away. And I think I found the grave of the founder of Lyallwood, okay. Lyle. He's buried there, which is Faisal Abad now. He's buried there. And his story of why they called it Lyallwood. Yeah. yeah. You know, all the Kent's got a lot as well. So Oxford's got a lot. I don't know. There's something that's, yeah. for me, there's so much out there. Yeah. Have you documented it yourself? Right, so the way the stories are going, yeah, yeah. We need so we need to document. So um, so I started, you know, with the Sikh Studies Conference in the UK, yeah, yeah. Lully and Mansell. Yeah, they do. Um, so I, but actually, it was Gumbelroop's London Sikh Conference, 2014. Okay. So I started Little History, 17th of October, 2013. Changed it from Gadamsel Sikh History to Australia. Yeah. Um, and there was a conference in London at Imperial College. And it was the first time I started to write these stories down and it was probably a scrappy paper but it got through and um, I went to present and there weren't that many academics there but the people that were there were like the powerhouses now you know Abim Bajit was there yeah. um, Singh Ma, yeah. was there they were the three but then they had Bashar Asim flying to do the speech yeah. Gamalrup was there Sathanam Singh Sathanam Singh from Denmark so they yeah, were there saying, yeah. yeah and Jasjeet was there Jasjeet yeah. was saying um, Who's the sing from Mexico? Passing was there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was a London one. And yeah. the reason they did a London one, was probably um, a couple of people's idea, was they needed to say they'd one in London. It only happened once. But I got a slot on there. And I got a slot, and I started to tell, put my photos up, and start to tell a few Sikh history in London stories. And the response was okay, and mm. it was good. I mean, obviously, a couple of people followed up. But then came the Warwick Conference. So then I wrote it up better, just Sikh history in Chelsea. Yeah. I thought, well, let me just start in Chelsea. Then I'm going to do 32 boroughs. Every yeah. borough is going to be a paper. Um, and then it was going to get published, and then the book didn't happen. But the conference, again, I felt it wasn't well attended. Yeah. You know? And I'm a tour company, so why can't I get people to come you know, to it? But it wasn't. I think the people are all trying to do it in their spare time. If they've got any spare time, they don't. Yeah. Um, and then they went on the Seek channel and other channels, and they got more people. So you saw the conference grow over yeah. the years. I saw that. But I still found that it's not, it's not being documented. Me telling an audience of 100 people, a few of which might be interested, mm. is not getting me the, what I need. Yeah. So I headed off to America. Yeah. <laughs> and I presented in America at the Jakarta um, conference at Stanford University two years ago. So. It's an amazing one. It's a community based on it. It's at Stanford University. Yeah. Um, and I went and I just paid for my ticket. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to write this up. Properly, I recycled that one, added to it, and a style of writing started to emerge because it's now at Stanford. Yeah. So I've got the okay, but the audience was three times bigger, much fuller. I was the second person on, and the whole day I took a whole display of stuff to America with me. I've had a sh table outside. Yeah. If I'm coming just for a one-hour lecture, that's yeah, exactly. I might as well make it real for the kids, and um, and I had a lot of engagement. Met the Sikh Foundation who were in the front row. Dr. Nidhavigar Singh, um, Santa Cruz, um, okay. met him, had a word, and have been published two papers now, Chelsea and Westminster. Awesome. I'm writing Tower Hamlets at the moment. Yeah. And then I might just do South London as one wrap-up to try and cut my workload. 
Um, but one thing for me, I mean, like for me, you know, I, I'd buy your publication 100%. If you but had I do publication, it, but no, but I do it on rather paper. than paper, rather than paper. If you had... So what they, yeah, what they said to me, if I do a publication, then I produce a book. If I produce a book, I can't do a publication because the book's already out in the market. So I thought if I just do the chapters, they're basically chapters and Urban Agali will turn it into a book, you know? Yeah, that's and what we're That's what we're going to do, right? So that's the plan. But they're just going to be guidebooks, little guidebooks, £5, £10 guidebooks. If you're walking around, here's the photos. Oh, here's yeah, definitely, yeah. This is like a Lonely Planet guidebook, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, the old A to Z that we use to Yeah, but also exactly. we're starting to make them as Google Maps. Okay. So all of our research snippets, 70 to 100 words. So you can just download it on Google, follow the route, it's my walking tour, and just see Not the things. Not huh? So this is all the future. Now, that depends on the team. And I keep saying, I, I just want to do the history, because rather than spend all night trying to work out that, I just want to read one of these books and yeah. do the history. So if the team keeps working, and, if I, and I do pay my teams, that's quite important. I think yeah. um, all my teams get paid for their work. Yeah. Um, because I just felt it's not Seva for me, it's an organisation. Uh, they're coming there now. Yeah? They're coming there. And these people, they're, they're young. Time, so you want to give them something yeah, they're to young, push right? themselves forward, propel yeah. themselves. And they're young, so they need to learn that there's a value for their yeah, work. Is, yeah. And I'm in a position to offer them that. Yeah. Right? So I do that, and um, I can't take on loads of stuff. If you want to start, the people start, they voluntary yeah. expenses, get paid. You know, and um, that's just something personal, because yeah, I've yeah. seen um, a lot of projects run out of steam. Yeah. Because the workforce dies away because it's for a kid. Yeah, coming into London yeah. when you're 18, you've got to pay £7.20 for the day to come in and out of London and then buy lunch there and all that stuff. They're not going to say it to me, but I know, you know yeah, what yeah. it would have been for me 20 you know, years I'm ago. You know how much you pay your pocket. At that age as well, you're not earning all over there. Exactly. And if you get a day out in London that's covered, you're going to come back again, right? So, of course. So it's like a strategy for, for that. And then a lot of people give me a lot of positive comment without follow-up, mm-hmm. you know? So in the early days, I used to do a lot of planning for people on request. So now I've learned to play tennis, which is like, you want a tour from yeah. me? Can you do this? I give the ball back to you. I mean, you've got this and this and this, so then come back to me and they don't come back to me. That's fine. That's fine. I know yeah, a lot no, of all... Yeah, no. You don't test the water out when you see one. Yeah, the... I said, okay, so if it's a 30-person tour, can you fix the date, get a commitment from them, do register, send it to me in Excel, and I'll develop the tour. Yeah. But I'm not doing your recruitment for your tour yeah. if you're telling me you want to buy a recruitment or a delivery of a tour. Yeah. When it's my tour, why don't you just come to my tour that I've got the risk, you know, of no one turning up. Yeah. But they don't want to come on my tour, they want their own personal tour. I was like, look, that's fine, but then my fee is this, yeah. you're going to have to pay for me to come. Then it all goes quiet, you know, yeah. and I'm like, to you guys, <laughs> let yeah. me just do my tours, you know. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, like any young business, people, I treat it like a business. Yeah. It's got its own accounts with my accountant and everything. And you see how much of a struggle it is to run a business. That's my accountant. Yeah. He has to do all my accounts. Yeah. But I'm just sitting there going, oh my God, I've got to pay tax on that. Oh my yeah. God. But you, the income, the management, the, you know, we, we cover every penny and we produce a report where right. every attendee gets a stakeholder report, where the money goes, what it does. And all it does is build up, for me, trust with people that, yeah. you know, yeah, the money's all, up. It's an auditing system where you're transparent to those people who come to know where the funds go. Yeah, but not that I've got a Mercedes, but if I haven't bought a Mercedes, people are going to say, oh, he does tours, taking money of the city to be Mercedes. I'm like, mate, I'm a consultant who earns, like, proper money, right? Yeah. That's what the car's for. But people won't see that. They'll just see new tyres on it. Yeah. So I was just like, you know what, just leave it with what I've got. Because I'm happy. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't need a Mercedes or anything like that. But um, I've seen it a lot that people think this is a money-making yeah, scheme. I said, are you sure? You think walking tours in London is a money-making scheme? I was like, yeah, right, good, you know, so. 
So no one's telling you to come. You know? no, but for the people who come, they get an experience which I hope they don't forget. You know, you know I, for me, it was another time I went somewhere, it was the Nottingham, Nottingham Castle. Yeah. And you go there and they've got, they've got beige cubs, they've got a couple of things. And again, you were like, yeah, we've got this covered. And, and then obviously, Corinne said, yeah, this is on Anglo Saxon. Oh, the, three, the 3D one. Yeah, come down. Yeah, yeah, so I was just like, for me, it was a, an eye opener. And then when I see that you're like, there's 108 sites around London, I'm like, this is amazing. 108 is just now. Yeah. Know, but I've probably 10, 15 that I'm not on there. But I think, because then the stories get a bit more watered down, they need to be brought to life. You know? yeah. They're not real artifacts, they're events happened here, this yeah. is what happened. But we have just one store, one tour just in Hyde Park. Yeah. You can walk around Hyde Park, there's five Sikh stories in Hyde Park. Mm-hmm. So when you get to Speaker's Corner, yeah. I can tell you the Jagrat story there, because that's where he started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all on the videos. You come to um, opposite the Royal Albert Hall, the Albert Memorial, the book he's holding on his statue Mm. is actually the guide for the 1851 exhibition okay. and in there is everything about the Kohinoor. Okay. Then if you walk around Hyde Park, they've got the QR codes and everything there. So you can press the QR code and the great exhibition comes up on your phone. So this is how things work. So you can see the India galleries there. Okay. Then you go further up and you see where Sophia the Leapsing went to Exeter House and she lent a march during the suffragettes there. Okay. Then you look over and you can see the showrooms for Rolls Royce where they're Maharaja Patiala. Yeah, wait, wait. Get all on that for the so this is just in Hyde Park. I didn't realise that was there. <laughs> you know, That's you know, right. Listen, this is all. We were only at Shepherd's Bush and I yeah. mentioned that story about yeah. Rolls Royce. Yeah, but that showroom was there, you know. So right. we see it now. So all of these little stories, and then the, you've got the pavilion gates there as well. You've got all the VC winners memorialised at Corner of Hyde Park, yeah. leads to Buckingham Palace. So for me, it's like, how many tours do you want? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's so many, and all of it comes from just merging the London history with the Sikh history. Yeah. You have to merge the two together. Of There's a whole tour in the Docklands, you know, it's called East India Docks, yeah. just because that's where the yeah. stuff came from. Start a tour from there and go into the coin and You just follow a line and you can take hundreds of Sikh stories, you know. The first Cockney Sikh um, punk rocker, Suresh Singh, you know, his stories all in Tower Hamlets. I go to his house, okay. tell that story, first Punjabi punk, you know. But this book is actually about his mum and dad. The modest living. Yeah, it's such such a nice story. Mm-hmm. And he talks about something in there that he says his dad, um, in forty twenty eight of the Jabji says about always wearing the cloak of death. Yeah. And yeah. when you've translated yeah, yeah, that in your book, so, yeah, right? Yeah. So that one to me is quite a personal yeah. one because I think the way we we behave as Sikhs, the way we do things, that's just the thing. There's people, go to six walking around who remember the cloak of death. Yeah. Right? And they So, and then there's others who aren't aware of that cloak of death. And that's the yeah. way I just see That's the way I see people. I talk to them. That's the initial marriage. Wearing, you know, yeah. the, mar- the marriage is a soul of death, but you yeah. carry that cloak of death, that death is going to come impartial, impartial of whatever you do in this life. And I think for me, that's, you know, just through my own personal chronic. Um, conditions as a kid that's always been true yeah. so if I can remember that then it just makes everything I do glass half full no, more I, positive I because you're kind of grateful for the day kind of thing and that's people who are closer to me know that and, yeah. um, but you can't see it and no one will know it you know but on a tour they won't know but the way you talk to people yeah. you just always remember that we're all wearing that coat exactly you know <laughs> and uh, and he talks about it in that book. And when I went to see him speak, and he spoke about it, it kind of connects you together. You know? yeah. 
and it's quite interesting. I didn't realise that. Yeah, no, I'll show you where it is. <laughs> no, that's, that's really interesting, but yeah. 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 I, I, I totally understand that. Um, you know, follow that through. Right, quick couple of questions yeah. I just want to go through. Um, with regards to you putting this together, yeah. Did you have any specific influence? I know you talked about your your grandmother yeah. as, as growing up as an influence, but with regards to this sort of stuff, with regards to the you know the collector's memorabilia, with regards to the walking tours, did you have any influences that impacted on you actually doing it? So I think my first influence would be Aftar Singh Bada and his father, who who have an extensive collection. This is probably a fraction of what I've seen. Yeah. In there, and they've always been open when his father was alive at the Gurdwara and Aftar does some exhibitions. So I no doubt that was the switch to say, switch your collection from India to Sikh and you'll still have a good collection. Yeah. You know, that was definitely an influence. To be honest with the walking tours, I don't know how they came about, to be yeah. honest. It, the story is through just dragging the kids, kids along, yeah. then the families along, then the Karam said Sikh history tours, then saying our oh, Facebook has got events on, let's try and put in events, get new people. And I would say that that's quite innovative and pioneering because I did speak to Dick Grant in the early days when he was doing a lot of YouTube stuff. He was yeah. going around London with a camera. I was going around London with a history book, you know. And he did say to me, just record it, put it on YouTube. And I was like, mate, I don't want to take all this kit with me everywhere. Like, yeah, the backpack, when I go yeah, no, to try to get out, you know, I just start wherever, high street, wherever. And I did meet him on a couple of occasions and a few camps he saw this stuff. We had a chat. He was like, you need to put it on the internet. And I said, yeah, but, you know, we're a little history of the seats. We're talking about this stuff. Yeah. We're not, you know, like the big stuff. And um, so that advice thing, but you would watch how he was growing and doing things. Yeah. And it was making an impact. Nice. And at the same time, I had a closed group on Facebook. I just wanted people to attend a tour yeah. and become a little part of a community. That's all it was. This closed group is still there. I've had to write, it's closed. Stop trying to join this group. We're open now. Um, so th I think that whole wave, that Nanak Nam basics, and I think for me particularly, I've always felt my Sikhi is personal. Yeah. I can never stand up in front of an adult audience and talk about any baths, any bath, anything, because for me, I'm still reading your books throughout the year. I'm reading day. those books too. Yeah. So I feel, I don't feel I have the confidence to to have an engagement vichar on that level. Yeah. I can sit here and have a study circle yeah. and learn from each other on these products which might bring up good money, no problem. And I can do all of that. But in an internet space or a public space, I just find it's not a very supportive environment. Yeah. And I don't think it's supportive for young people either. Yeah. Um, I get a lot of people um, criticise, you know, a pause or a break in a certain thing when I'm talking. Yeah. And I'm like, really? So there was a video about this and you picked up that my tie was slightly bent. Oh, you yeah. Know? You know? And, or I said a fatih in a church. I said, what else am I going to say? Do you exactly. read Bible that comes naturally? Exactly. I'm just going to say, I'm not going to say Jesus, am I, yeah. in the church? So I get these feedbacks and I'm like, did you even know the church was there? Did you even know we've got Punjab Frontier Falls Chapel in London hmm. with stuff from the Punjab from the 1800s? It smells like Punjab feels like Punjab has been kept like Punjab, it was picked up in the northwest frontier yeah. and brought to Chelsea. Did you know that? No. But you're worried about my tie being slightly crooked because I had a face mask on and I get pulling it. I was like, if that's your feedback or a video, up the door. Unfortunately, for every step you try to take forward to um, 
bring forward a bit of history, bring forward a bit of knowledge, you have three people trying to push you back. And I don't know why. That's, that's just how you know, I just think people struggle to, to be positive about anything. And yeah. I think it's that cloak of death thing as well. <laughs> really, I think you really, if that was your last thing you ever said on this earth, is that what you wanted it to be? That, you know, mate, Tim, why is your tie going on this video? Should have been straight. I was like, mate, I'm re recording. I have to go back and do this, do that. But I don't know. No, a good point to say is that the, yeah. the moment you come forward, yeah. people in the world don't like because all of a sudden you're trying to. Even though you're not trying to promote yourself, you're trying to promote an idea or some history or something like that, they don't see that. They just see, I don't have that same thing yeah. going on. So yeah. I'm going to do what, what we see now on the internet, the trolling thing, isn't it? Yeah. So. And, that, and that takes a set, you know, like most of us, I'm in my 40s now, and the, the confidence has been built up through, I know I'm grounded in my geographical history. I'm still, you know, I would, like all of us, are never going to, finish learning Sikhi, so that's a continual path. Yeah. So for me, when I was trying to work out where I make my contribution, this felt like a gap that I could work in and yeah. bring out the story. And, and I think this thing about the future, you know, in 2020, that's the plan to reduce my work and st stop looking inward yeah. to Sikhi and bring the Sikhi out. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, and, and now I've got a lot of partnerships with organisations <coughs> that are emerging. Yeah, yeah. And it's all going to be in a non-Sikh space now going forward. And I don't know if that's the journey it's always going to be on. No, it needs to be. You know, yeah. but, um, that's the journey it's going to go on. You know, um, we need to start looking out and yeah. other people need to start looking in. Yeah. You know, so other people that are outside groups who are not Sikhs yeah. need to understand how vital and important our history is in the makeup of what we do today i think so and i think this this makes it presents it in a way that's digestible for them you know it's not um it's multifaceted it's covering culture arts yeah. politics etc not just religion I'm, I'm working with a school next week and i'm just going to talk about how sikh soldiers kept their faith on the world war one mm. and i've got lots of photos about that and other i saw that one where they do the iphones on the yeah one. yeah and you know, I go into court and they never over. say to me, they say, it's an affirmation on it. I usually affirm because they haven't got a good colour. Yeah. But if I've got a good colour, I will always do the oath upon the good colour. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I swear by, you know, Sigrun Nandaji, that evidence I should give to be the truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth. That's done upon the good colour. So, yeah. and to see that there. That's the, it's always been there. It's always yeah. been for a long time. I can even show you the oath they take. And it's a weird one. I've got it in a book that I bought here, and I think um, I've just shared it with a few other people, but it's in one of my videos. They say, instead of for king and country, it says for the guru, then it says, if I disobey my officer, who's British, yeah. then may the guru grant Sahibji bring misfortune upon me. And, it, and when it says that, it's like, well, but the guru was never there to cause you any harm anyway. He's never going to cause you misfortune. Our guru's not going to. But the British had analysed it all that way and presented it their way, which yeah. made it look like that and it's like to me it's so weird that as a practicing seat you would even think that your good is going to cause you misfortune yeah. when only the good gives it doesn't provide always yeah so so but they put it in to make you compliant with but this. it's but it's in line with the same the semitic sort of values that they have yeah. because the semitic god can be a benevolent god and can be a yeah. lawful God at the same time. Yeah. So, that's so they were just compartmentalising or comparing ours to them, just swapping yeah. a few words out, yeah. and they're putting good in where they had. Yeah. Uh, and, I just, and to uncover these and find these, and they tell these stories, it's, it's amazing people just don't. Yeah. So every other regiment would be gone king in another country, 
and our, our regiments to be on the good advance side. So they knew, didn't they? Yeah, definitely. Right, a couple of last questions before yeah. I'm going to, before we finish, I need to plug when your next tour is on and things like that. But before that, I just want to get to a couple of things. What are your interests in hobbies? I know this yeah, is yeah, a so hobby. This is a hobby, yeah. So basically, you'll see, um, I think London history has always been a hobby. Yeah. But, you know, I've played the table tennis, done the swimming, do you try and keep the weight down, this has to be a hobby. I have a dog, as you see, and that's my making sure he has the exercise, which means I have the yeah. exercise, turns into kind of part of your routine for the day. Um, so I generally end up doing two things at once. If we're watching Netflix, I'm always doing research. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to say, all the time. See, or something's going on. And if I'm in this space, then they will know in there that just leave him. If he's working or whatever, just leave him. I'll walk across. And I, I, don't, I think I'm getting better at um, having going out socially now because you've got to remember in my 20s and 30s I just worked. Like, yeah. And now it's only my 40s I think I've done enough to know. Yeah, to spend an evening just having a meal with a few people and just building friendships because I never did that before. Yeah, I just yeah. started that again after yeah. years. I think for the last 15 years I've put that to the side. And I felt I put it aside because it was just living in London was just money. Yeah. So if you haven't got two or three jobs you're not doing well. Right? Yeah. Um, and this I was always carving time out for this but I think there's a lot of Sikh organisations I work with now and if they can learn from my journey and I can help them with project management and being realistic yeah. I, I don't think there's you know no one's going to pick up the phone to you and say I'm going to donate £250,000 to make sure your organisation is going to have a future right. it's not going to happen yeah. I feel it's going to be grassroots upwards yeah. it's going to be small trickle donations that build up then you've got to make sure that you, <coughs> the bulk of your costs are covered. Yeah. And if you can do that, then your organisation's got a building block. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to be seeking funding and doing this and doing that, then it's going to be very clear because you're going to well, be on a rat, yeah, you're going to be in a rat race that goes like this, yeah. you know. And um, so yeah, my hobbies, yeah, I didn't even speak about the cars and the other stuff we do, but there's. There's lots of stuff I've done. Oh, tell me. Hobbies tell me. Tell me what are your hobbies? This is, yeah. this is the whole point. It's about finding out who the person is. So on social media, you'll only see, if, if I accept a friend request, you'll only see landscapes of dog walks when I go yeah. out. That's all that's on my personal. And little history will only be history. Then the other parts of me are that I've probably built up two or three businesses from a young age, yeah. and they're hobby-based businesses. So we started shipping American cars, as I said to you, when I was 15 or 16. Yeah. And I would go over to America and bring them over. So for my work partner, that's his business, yeah. pays his mortgage, but it's never going to pay mine. But I earn a good salary out of it. Yeah. So we have American stretch limousines, the Cadillacs, the 1950s and 60s cars you see in Cuba. Yeah. We've got about 15 of those. So we hire them out to all the YouTubers these days who want to make a video. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah. YouTubers are wedding people. Yeah, weddings. We used to do weddings a lot, but um, nowadays it's all YouTubers. Yeah. And then when the recession hit in 2010, we had a meeting, and um, rather than um, drop the price of the cars, we ended up buying a yacht in the River Thames. So we have a luxury yacht sitting on the River Thames. Okay. That only goes out once or twice a month. If it does go out with the footballers, the Tom Cruises, and those people. If it goes out, then we know all our bills are covered that month. You know? yeah, this is high-end work at um, prices that that just mean that money isn't a big worry anymore. You know, yeah. apart from some very, very um, exclusive clubs that 
need service at the top end. Yeah. And once you're wearing that badge, you don't need to do any marketing. <laughs> you know, they come to you. So, yeah. so that's what we do. And that's, that's all built through, I think, a business where we just did our job properly. We don't get involved in politics. We just provide the service. We don't care who's on the boat. Yeah. We don't want photos with all these legends that come on it. We just want We're yeah. just there driver. We're just there to provide a service. service. And, that's what, and that's why we get the business. Yeah. Yeah. That's, he's a humble guy. He does the driving. I do or the back office, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of a hobby, but yeah. it turned into a business, and all these hobbies turn into business. This is a hobby turning into a business. So, you know, those are all juggling balls, you know. They're all seasonal work. So yeah. cars are busy in the summer, the boat's busy in the summer, in the winter it's not. Then the sick history resets in the winter, and the consultancy we treat as a hobby as well, you know. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that, that's a part of my life not a lot of people know about. That's awesome. But, um, anyone in Ilford who hires a limousine has obviously contacted me at some point for a quote. But that's when I put my English, Jewish yeah. voice on and I just talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like the luxury yacht thing. Yeah, all yeah. I, all yeah. I get scared of just doing the Dover Crossing. I don't, I don't you know. Do I think um, these luxury yachts in the River Thames are different. They're expensive. Yeah. There's only one, so they all have to come to us any hotel. And we just do the O2 runs for anyone performing on the O2. Yeah. I know where they're normally staying and where they're provided to be. That's and that's a little business in the background um, that I run with two other partners. Yeah. Partners, that's a different business. That one's I just do the, the paperwork for. You know, and it's, it's a funny industry, the yacht business. It's uh, exempt from a lot of VAT, which I didn't realise. <laughs> you know? So you don't have to pay VAT on a yacht. The fuel is usually VAT free, the bookings are VAT free, which is why the rich invest in yachts. They've got their own laws that are all that free. I don't think I'd go very far unless it was a luxury yacht. It's a Fairline Targa 52. It's, um, it's called Lady Kate. So look it up online and see. It's a new website. There. I'm sure if I look up Lady Kate, that's, something else might come. Yeah, I'm maybe. About that. Yeah, that's what you have to cater for the American audience. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that, but a little history of my passion and my project. You know, and uh, now the team working with it, and I hope they take it on. Um, that's good. So we, we help other businesses. Okay. We have our own couple of businesses. But I think for other people, being a master of your own time is so key. Yeah. And if you can coordinate your diaries, whether it's midnight time or evening time, yeah. but you can earn your seven hours wage whenever you want to earn it. Exactly. It opens up a whole new world without a nine to five job that you have to travel in for, you know. No, definitely. Right. Future projects and plans. So, yeah, so the future 2020s, I wanted to go down to three and a half days a week at the office, one and a half days every week on Little History. Yeah. The reason was to find new partnerships and new work. So this year, I'll probably tell you now, but it'll be out in February, we've been working with the Faculty of History at Oxford University. Okay. So we'll be endorsed by them, so that'll be a new audience. Loughborough University, oh. um, working with the creative and media industries to work how this story fits into what they call creative engagement, they say. Yep. You know, because they've been, we've been working with them. And then the historic Royal Palaces, we've got a partnership with them, the Royal Hospital Chelsea, um, lots of exciting projects. And that's going to take time, you know, and a team and people to work with. And um, I think that's where this is going to be heading. These seek stories in the mainstream space Good. that other people can tell, not just my tools, you know, because um, it will be documented, it will be available on boards and I don't know what else is going to come out you know so I think it's set up now the work's done now mm. to present this to new audiences and I don't want to we're not chasing likes hits or any of that it's yeah. this is suitable for certain 
things yeah. and if those now come uh, we built this website two years ago during the first lockdown and it's opening up lots of opportunities but I think a lot of it's going to be quality content on yeah it is quality content yeah, it's not a rushed up site you know, it's highly designed and all of this stuff will be on it eventually you know with high res images or tell me NFTs, NFTs yeah, yeah well this is it I've learned that today NFT my son's upstairs making NFTs I'll teach you man yeah. teach you how to NFT you know yeah. you've got so many physical things yeah that you could NFT those and then people will have a digital version of each item um, and you know there's so much in here that you know <laughs> It's, uh, you know, is there's it? so much you could do. There's so yeah. much you could do. But, yeah. but the other thing is, obviously, you've mentioned about doing another paper. Yeah, I'm working on a paper. It's a history on the streets of Tower Hamlets, the East End rag trade. So Peter Banks and everyone knows yeah. about the 1930s. I think there was a rags to riches story, 1970s to 1990s. Okay. These people who had factories rented from the Jewish community in the East End. Yeah. Um, their property prices just went so high, they became millionaires so quickly in the yeah. 90s that they came and went, and then the Bengalis came in and it yeah. went to Bangladesh. But that Sikh episode was just before is 80s and 90s, and I'm now meeting the people, the last of those people, and getting their stories documented to write a third paper on um, Sikh history in the streets of Tower Hamlets. So you have Kohinoor is actually in Tower Hamlets, the Tower of London is in Tower Hamlets, yeah. the first trade docks. Um, East End, we've got the whole Laskers who came in as seamen into Tower Hamlets mm. and Sapphire building the Laskers Club for Indian food, which is just down in Newham. Um, all these stories that somehow just don't reach anything, you know, within our community. Yeah. And yet we could probably trace our roots back to being connected to those people, you know, because where else would they have come from? Yeah. It's not East Africa. Well, we came yeah, we came, you know. Um, so that's an interesting paper. I've written most of it, but I just need to do more interviews because it's just leading to more interviews and more interviews. Yeah. So I'm only going to write it once, so I feel I get more interviews and more flavour in there. But there's a first licensee for a public house. He was in the East End in Brick Lane. These fashion houses in Brick Lane that made money, suppliers to Marks and Spencers. And, you know, they've all moved on, and, but they've still got the property there. They're all renting it out, and their families are working away. Yeah. And if they're happy to tell their stories... It's a story worker. Okay. But it's a story that's aligned to Canary Wharf as well because the property prices went up because of its proximity to London. Yeah. And these guys just got caught on a wave. They came in in a very poverty-stricken area because it's yeah. cheap and ended up leaving on a very high area because it's you know, next to Canary Wharf. It's got Christmas, isn't it? Well, yeah, so... They probably need a lot of hard work as well. Of course, it's catching the wave. I mean, the from their perspective... Yeah. But if that factory was in Basildon, <laughs> the land price wouldn't have gone up. No. You know? And now they're all multiple flats and things. I want to write that story in a way that I haven't seen it, I've researched it everywhere. Yeah. It's not documented online. So I want to meet the people and get their stories, which I've heard by now I'm going to tell them it's for an academic paper, so please get your dates right. And please get me some evidence about leases and arrangements. You know? oh, that's fine. Yeah, so that's that one. But there'll be another paper. Well, paper-wise, I'd like to... Yeah, like Which one do you want? I'll just pick out next. No, I'd like I'd like a I'd like a book like that with regards to like a tour guide. Yeah, like a London guide. I know you're going to put that on a website anyway, so why mm. not into publication? I'd, so I think I'd focus that because I'd I'd walk around London with the publication going. Well, I'm here now. We're here now. You, you know the thing is, you're probably walking past it already without knowing. That's all. And it's that's the be. problem. Yeah, and that's yeah. the problem. If, that's if I've I mean. got a book with me. Yeah. 
In the same way we went to Rome, we're like, well, here we are, here we are. And I walked by a load of bits and went, I didn't even know that. Because I didn't have that physical book there. And what's happening is when I came back from Stanford and the Seek Foundation link, I've had one, two, three, four people flying from America during the pandemic do the tours and go back. I'm like, is that what you came in for? You know? And they were just like, well, we wanted to come to London and we knew you were doing the tours. And I think that's nice, but also that's a responsibility to make sure they get maximum value out of it all. Um, and there's more planned like that. So I think I'm beginning to learn, and I have lots of experts. I don't know if they'd ever do it on their own, but I want them to. I want them to be able to say that. And they would have done it for money because they're passionate yeah. about this as well. So, you know, so. But yeah, like, like I said, that NFT, everything there, NFT, but I mean, there's so much I can see the potential in here is just. Uh, it's well, look, it's here it's now. Off the charts. So I hope you know. We had we had a similar experience when we went to see Cobra. You know, oh, yeah. the amount of potential with this stuff that he has, and uh, you know, what I tried to do with through Goodwin Control was just try to bring everything available that we well, could. Look, I, I, in yeah. the same way that you're doing, in the same way that Cobra was doing, the same way that um, everybody we've been seeing, everybody's trying to do that, and, and you know, we're just. If I we think it adds to our own kind of human existence as well. Yeah. We we find a lot of you know, like, um, benefit from personal it. Being, benefit, yeah, yeah, personal, you know, it's, it's uh, nice. You know, people have different hobbies, and this might be a hobby, but it's definitely, you're doing it at a stage in your life when you're not doing it for the money or the yeah. income. There is no money in income in these things, right? Yeah. Um, but film scripts will come out of this. I know the kids who come on it are joining these stories together, yeah. and I know that two or three of them in English yeah. are going to start writing a film script. That's where I think yeah. this is going. You know, these stories can be brought to life through screen. Yeah. Um, it's just finding the right, right, um, the right method of Yeah. And the kids can do that because that's for them to work yeah. out, you know. No, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, when do your tours start back up? So we always start from International Women's Day, which is early March. If the weather's on our side, we will launch a video in early March um, this year. And then we'll do the Sikh Women's Tour in March. Then we go to Vasaki. And then we've already put out the Oxford one. So we'll do Oxford, Kent all the London ones, and the international ones this year, I'm thinking Scotland, yeah. Edinburgh, and we were doing World War One France, and, and we were supposed to do it when the lockdowns kicked in, so we'll just bring that. I'm not sure how difficult yeah. it's going to be to get to France, and then Belgium, you know, too, but if it's all okay, then that's August. So I'm going to get all of those posters out on our sites, yeah. we recruit in our normal way, and then um, those that join, hopefully we'll have a good, good experience and a memorable day. But we have... The interesting thing is, I in my head I've got a Sikh history in Malta trip. I've done twice yeah, myself. Sikh history in Malaga to Madrid. I want to launch as well. So it's now finding the right weekends for yeah. to do these ones, where I just give people three, four months' notice. Say book your own hotel, but I need you here at this date, here at this date, and the rest of it have your own holiday in Madrid and Malaga. But I will do the train journey, yeah. the museums this side and the graves that side and all that. We'll do that. You know, we're doing loads because you look at what. I'm just saying, Sikhs during World War Two in Italy. Yeah, Italy, yeah, for you. I have got a friend in Leicester who's a Baha'i. Right. And his story is about how the Sikhs saved the Baha'is in Afia, in uh, yeah, yeah, Israel. Yeah. yeah. And he's got the names, he's got the stories, he's the got the stats and everything. You know, like so that. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, you can have loads of stuff. I, wanted, I don't know if there's physical stuff in Israel. But all of that World War One stories are yeah. documented, and they released a stamp recently. So yeah, so that's what I mean. So it does George Floyd Lance, I think. But you know, there's so many yeah. um, that I want to do, but 
I don't know the time. Mm, well, good. No, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, social media mm. and your uh, websites, Facebooks. Can you give us your details, please, so we can put them out with this video? Thank you. So it's um, www.alittlehistoryoftheseeks.org. Yeah. That's the website. On that, it's got all of our different links on there. But Facebook, it's got its own page, A Little History of the Seeks. Instagram, at Little History of the Seeks. Yeah. Um, Twitter is ALH Seeks, but I'm not active on Twitter at all. I just can't. Yeah, with it's, it. just, it's just, you know, the backside I just retweet when Seek PA say we need to explore a cause. Yeah. And I just retweet it. Um, but I don't even know what a Twitter storm is, to be honest. <laughs> they just say, we're all going to do something at six o'clock today. I do it, and I'm like waiting for things to happen, but I don't know what happens. And YouTube, we have our YouTube channel. Yeah. So that's that's what Urban Agali looks after for me. Yeah. And he's, he has all the passwords. <laughs> he's my brother in social media, he does all of that. If somebody has a personal interest and wants to either add a bit of value to what you're doing or... Yeah. Um, is it okay for them to contact you on any of these? They can, and I would just say, look, turn up for a tour. There's plenty of time between sites to talk. Yeah. Once you've done a couple of tours, you know, people have, then yeah. they basically become a member of the team yeah. because they know how it all works. Yeah. And I just say, you've heard the story before, you can tell the story today. Yeah. Or I meet historians, you know, they turn up and they have a lot of local knowledge, like yeah. at Gravesend, yeah. between Jagdir, Mukhtiar and Indy. Yeah. They've got loads of knowledge, so I was just giving them a platform as well. They finally, can you finish yeah. off what I started? Yeah. And they knew the soldier personally, made their things. Why am I standing there telling a story? Okay. And that was their friend. So I said, you tell us, bring it to life, this statue. You know, we go into the um, church. They were the ones who installed the plaque there. So, you know, so okay. let that team take over. And uh, they brought a local historian. So I find that I'm just an enabler for Kent now. I'm just saying the Kent historians bring it to life. You yeah. know? They just come under the banner. Brighton, similarly, you've got the Chapley Memorial yeah. Garden, they know all of that stuff. So all I need to do is bring an audience to Brighton and they look after the day, you know. Um, so that's what, I, that's what I think I'm turning into, is just a that's good. audience provider, you know, which is fine for me. Facilitates yeah, for Because I can tell my stories as a coach so they could get there as an informed audience. Yes. And then they have a better day, I think. If they know the background to Thetford or to, you know, Oxford, then they go in and ask the right questions when Peter helps and goes through. Yeah, Peter does all that. Yeah, so... That's great. Mm -hmm. And lastly, before we finish off, have you got any questions for us about today? No, it's, look, it's been a, I think it's been an open, frank discussion. I've never done a podcast before, so let's see how this one goes. I think the name's great, um, but I don't think we're on the fantastic part of it. I've got no, equally flawed end. And, and, um, well, that's, that's the opportunity. The, the whole point of the podcast is, you know, flawed, foolish and fantastic. We all have those ignorances within it. Yeah. And in order for us, we've come here and we didn't know, you know, I don't know this history and, you know, those events, those places, those things that taken place. And that's where you add that value to become fantastic. And no, I think this is good, but I, I hope that you guys come again in your own time, just explore, do what you need to do, just chill here, because I've, I've did some Who's like rentable space. Nobody said we're leaving today. I know, good. Yeah, but, I, you know, I have yeah. partners locally, they can just, they come through the side, they can open, they can use the space. In the Gordadara, the biggest problem I had in Gordadara is Wi-Fi and connection yeah. cables. Yeah. HDMI and LPT one, they're still running on some Gordadara. Yeah. So I have a whole box of adapters and all this stuff. Yeah. And, I just rather now do it on this screen with this setup and just say do it from here. Oh, it's just, you know, it's all boosted up for that. But 
I don't know if this was a mistake, it just felt right for me to do, you know. Scottish school, you know, got you at the right time? Yeah, I think so, but I think for my kids, I don't know, they just wanted a sofa head to play PlayStation. Yeah, I know, that's, that's <laughs> always a mix. Yeah, they, they just wanted to chill out. They wanted a suka table, they wanted all this stuff, and they were like, look, you guys stay in your own space, this is my space. No, this is beautiful, this is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's just, oh, so it's... I hope we get more visitors this year, I've always offered it up to my WhatsApp groups. Yeah. Say, look, come and visit. If your kids learn something, that's, they'll always be something to take away. <laughs> you know, that's why I, I share my history. But, nice, absolutely yeah. brilliant. Look, I just want to say thank you very much for today. Look, I've thank never you met you in person, but I've met two great things come down to East London, all the way from Leicester. Oh, I just think we're, it's amazing. We're honoured to be here. We're honoured to have you on. And like I said, for Fulsh and Floor, definitely. <laughs> but it's, it's absolutely brilliant. For me, I'm learning so much, especially when you just wrote, you know, on Bow Street, I was like, wow, that's, that's me done. Yeah. I'll go to those three places, I'll take my kids. Smallest police station, Bow Street registration. So for me, it's that sort of thing. So it's just amazing. So, but for me, I'm, the purpose of this is for other people to see this and oh, other people cool. to take up the opportunity of gaining that knowledge from yourself. I know you've got students and people on the YouTube solution already. But, I, hope, I hope they carry on. I think they will, but there's always space. But know? I want families. I want yeah. good ones. I want things in Leicester and places like that to go. Yeah. What you mean? We could take a trip down. Somebody will show us around this. Yeah. Well, let's take take that opportunity while we've got a chance. Thank you. Yeah. So no, I just want to say thank you very much. I no, really appreciate everything. Enjoyed it. I don't know what time. I your time. No, your time. I've enjoyed it. So I'm just thinking. You know, I don't know what your time means. No, we, we, we ain't got no time. <laughs> We're good. We're at somebody's house until the kick is out, basically. Oh, my goodness. That's brilliant. But no, like I said, thank you. From the Floor Fulsh and uh, Fantastic Podcast, just want to say thank you very much. Why would you keep that there?